The PKD Black Box is a proud member of the Comics Podcast Network. This is the PKD Black Box, episode 32. Welcome back to the PKD Black Box. I'm your host, Sean Pryor, a.k.a. Stan Leroy, a.k.a. Barack O'Comics. This week's episode is panda-centric. And what I mean by that is, is that we're going to talk with the founder of Panda Dog Press and creator of comics Animal Control, Special Creatures Unit, and Panda Dog Adventures, Rob Anderson. Uh, Rob Anderson's comic Animal Control, Special Creatures Unit, is available this month at discount comic book service, dcbservice.com, so you can cop a copy of Animal Control Special Creatures Unit at 35% off. Uh, We will talk to Rob about what went down behind the scenes in creating Animal Control uh, Special Creatures Unit. We also talk about his time with the comics experience and his current role with the comics experience program. Also on the show, we will have creators Sean Cosley of Panda Force, See, I told you more pandas. And we will also have Ant's creator, Julian Lytle, on the show as all three of us talk about the Panda Force Summer Shorts webcomic phenomenon that's going down right now at pandaforcecomic.com. What went down is, well, I can just tell you a little bit. You're going to have to listen to find out the rest. Myself, Sean Cosley, and Julian Lytle all combined efforts to do a uh, short a short story webcomic for the Panda Force Summer Shorts. And we talk about all other types of stuff in between, too. It's a fun. Feel free to take a listen and enjoy the show. But before we get to the meat of today's episode, I need to mention the Forum for Geeks podcast of the month. The Forum for Geeks podcast of the month is ComicTube. Quick description of what ComicTube is all about. Most comic book podcasts out there are a mixture of comics and the media that comes along with it. What makes ComicTube different than that is that they focus on comic book movies and other geek-related media such as television shows and video games. They do everything from reviews to topical discussions, and best of all, they're all just friends talking about what makes them happy. So please feel free to check them out over at www.neverendingchampions.com slash comic tube. Once again, www.neverendingchampions.com slash comic tube. And now, on with the show. Today with me on the line is the creator of the new comic Animal Control, he is also a new member of the Comics Experience staff. I had an opportunity to get a copy of Animal Control because I did not have the opportunity to meet him face-to-face at Heroes Con. Um, this gentleman's name is Rob Anderson, and we are very happy to have him on the show. So, Rob, thank you for coming. Oh, well, thanks for having me, Sean. I, as you know, one of the things I was bummed about was that we didn't get to catch up in person at uh, Heroes Con, so I hope we get to do that soon. Most definitely. I mean, I know my con season is uh, starting to run short this year, but um, I'm planning on hopefully uh, getting to a few con- a few, a few more cons next year, and um, hopefully we can definitely have a face-to-face. But, Great. Um, but no, I um, after Heroes Con was done, we uh, had some email communication, and and Rob uh, sent me a, a preview copy of Animal Control, and I have to say that um, I was really impressed, not only with, now this is a preview issue, mind you, and normally preview issues don't really give you much of, don't they don't give you much, they just tease you a little bit, but your preview copy of uh, Animal Control you know, was able to tell a story, 
had interesting had an interesting concept, solid writing and solid art and direction. So my first question to you is this: What was the creative? What was the creative spark that um, made you want to make Animal Control into a comic? Oh well, first of all, thanks thanks for saying all that, John. It's really <laughs> it's really great to hear. Um, you know, I think what uh, as far as the topic of you know Animal Control or or you know Animal Control Special Creatures Unit, sort of this concept I came up with, really um, comes out of the twin. The two things that I care about the most, which are uh, comic books, obviously, um, and also animals. Um, I'm really big into uh, animal welfare. Spent a few years um, volunteering at uh, animal shelters uh, right around here where I am in uh, Charlottesville, Virginia, working a lot with dogs and that sort of thing. And, uh, you know, in doing that, um, kind of seeing, you know, what that's like, uh, it kind of gave me a lot of ideas. And, and that sort of drove me to the direction of, uh, you know, hey, I have a story here that I want to tell. I noticed that when you're talking about um, you know, about the welfare of animals, one th- one topic that comes up in this book for the animals that uh, the Animal Control Special Creatures Unit has to um, round up, uh, they have to look for animals such as panda dogs, and they also have to look for uh, pocket dragons. And yeah. the one thing about this, because in the, the header at the top of the first page, talks about designer animals are commonplace and that kind of uh, takes me to you know you know in our time you know we have people making their own designer animals you know they'll combine two you know two species of dog they'll have two different species of dog mate to and we'll have this dog that we've never seen before and you have all these designer dogs that are out right now so when i saw that designer animals i said wow he's taking that he's taking this concept to another level so i i really like that yeah, thanks. And in fact, yeah, what, what really got that idea into my head, it was probably about 10 years ago, um, you may remember this, there were news stories about this uh, performance artist who had teamed up with this French geneticist as, as sort of like a performance art thing to create this new breed of animal where they took um, jellyfish DNA and inserted it into, you know, like a rabbit egg and created this uh, rabbit that was named, I think, Elba, uh, that actually glowed in the dark if you put it under certain light once you know it was uh, born and and grew up and everything, wow. and and sort of looking at that and seeing where the science you know was was clearly going to go or where it could go whether it's for you know art or commerce really kind of put that idea into me of of the kind of the special creatures unit this idea that somewhere down in the future you know there'd be these animal control officers out there that are dealing with these crazy you know hybrid patchwork animals like, you know, like you said, panda dogs um, or, uh, you know, Komodo dragon kind of hybrids running the streets and that sort of thing. And what would it be like if, you know, you're dealing with a gator snake you know, or something <laughs> like that? And so that's sort of the, yeah, like, sort of the high concept are these animal control officers um, dealing with this new world where, uh, you know, uh, transgenic science has become um, really commonplace. Not only are you putting a concept in front of a reader, but you're also able to give people characters that either a uh, people are concerned about or for the for the amount of pages that you give in a preview the characters are you know very well-rounded and they have a little bit of depth to them like Vasquez um, she is the rookie uh, animal control uh, officer and then you have the veteran I can't I can't remember the veteran's name at this time I, I apologize uh, Kaminsky thank you yeah, Kaminsky. Kaminsky yes and Kaminsky is a quote-unquote legend in animal control, but he has al- alcoholic issues, yeah, <laughs> among others. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, we'll just we'll just start right there with with those issues right there. But um, 
I like the fact that in a preview book, you're able to tell two stories and at the same time um, kind of, you know, note these issues that these characters have and also give a little bit of action and just put it all in one package and say, here, check this out. So when this book is finally released, you've, you've got my vote. I just want you to know that right now. You've got my <laughs> vote. So um, I just like the fact I just like the way this book was put together. It was very well packaged and well put together. So kudos to you. Oh, thanks. Yeah, the, you know, that was probably my biggest concern with the preview um, comic because of the length. Um, you know, I've got three stories in there, two of which are set in that main uh, special creatures unit universe. And I did try my best to give a flavor for what the characters were about because sort of the underlying uh, genre of, of this story is actually um, ensemble serial uh, cop dramas, you know, things like uh, The Wire or... Uh, um, you know, Hill Street Blues, going back a ways, that sort of thing. And so um, in the length of these stories where I'm trying to show the high concept and give a hint at the characters, I really only had room to show the two main characters and, and really not much of them. I, you know, I was really focused on trying to tell, uh, you know, brief but complete stories. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, as, as you can imagine, you know, as a, as a writer yourself, I have this huge backstory for all, you know, not only those two characters, but many others um, that I'm dying to show. And I hope to show, um, you know, as, as this moves out into, uh, you know, full length stories. When I looked at the characters of Vasquez and Kaminsky, it kind of reminded me of Mariska Hardigay's uh, character in the earlier years from uh, Law and Order SVU and Dennis Franz from uh, NYPD Blue. Not saying that those characters are just like those characters, but um, I kind of got a taste of that a little bit. Yeah, that's a, that's a great uh, that, that's a great parallel. You know, in the in the world of uh, uh, Animal Control Special Creatures Unit, basically, you know, what happened is um, to kind of bring it back around to the characters. Um, is that as the animals started to get you know crazy out of control um, because of the commercialization of this stuff, animal control was federalized and split into these two groups. So you've got sort of the regular, you know, they're not really just dog catchers, but kind of dog catcher animal control folks. And then you've got these, uh, you know, this specialized unit. And as you were saying, Kaminsky has had this heyday where he was, he was it. You know, he was the unstoppable force, the one-man gang. He was the guy that could do anything, take down anybody. Not that he didn't have some big setbacks in his career. And this story really picks up at the point, as you were saying earlier, where he has been, because of his personal problems and everything else, he has been busted back to being essentially a specialized dog catcher. And now he's been hooked up with Vasquez, who is this, you know, up and coming rookie, but totally a rookie. Um, so he's been busted way back. And so I think there's, you know, a lot of parallels there that like in what you were drawing there of somebody who's seen better days is, you know, was respected at one time, but now is, you know, kind of trying out there, trying to do the job still out there, but um, their best days seem to be behind them. And, uh, you know, I can say the story is definitely, you know, in terms of underlying theme about redemption. Um, and there's a, you know, there's a lot more story to tell about that. <laughs> What made you decide to create comics? What was that influence? Uh, well, let's see. I mean, you know, in terms of just loving comics, I mean, I was I was loving comics before I could read. I, I got a lot of my vocabulary from Stan Lee, you know, just in, as a reader <laughs> way back. And so from before I could barely write or read, you know, I was hooked and I wanted to tell my own stories. I've got, <laughs> as probably most of us do, you know, I've got comic books that I tried to draw when I was in elementary school and let me tell you, the art was not happening, but I was trying to, you know, I was trying to write stuff. Um, you know, and I think then 
kind of you know into adulthood or whatever, as I started to go to con to conventions, especially some of the more you know regional ones like uh, Heroes Con and, and Baltimore and in like the later '90s. You know, I sort of dis- I went there, going to dig through the back issue bins and discovered Artist Alley, and really saw, hey, there are all these people out here doing this stuff, and they're doing it all kinds of different stories and all genres and everything. And in particular, seeing people out there at that time, like you know Terry Moore, who was doing Strangers in Paradise, and Jeff Smith, and and many other you know uh, many other creators, really started to get that spark in me where I'm like, wow, you know, I would I have stories I'd really like to tell. I've always you know been interested in writing. I did a lot of uh, not published, but you know, pro science fiction writing over the years, and I thought, you know, I started to see, wow, this is really um, something I'd like to do. In particular, the first uh, San Diego Comic Con I went to in '98 really got me to start putting pen to paper and uh, and starting to write. In fact, going all, this is sad, but going all the way back to '98, that's when I actually started playing with um, this idea of Animal Control Special Creatures Unit, and I would put pen to paper. You know, I'd make a run at writing the stuff, um, but it would be intermittent. Um, you know, I'd lose my focus. And most importantly, um, I just wasn't satisfied with what was happening. Um, and so, you know, it goes all the way back that far, but a lot of stops and starts until um, kind of in terms of what really made me decide I wanted to really go after this uh, was a class uh, that's run by uh, Andy Schmidt, a former Marvel editor, and now he's a senior editor over at IDW, handling uh, the G.I. Joe and Transformers lines. He has a business and instruct, uh, instruction business called Comics Experience. And uh, I had been wanting to take his classes for a number of years, uh, but at that time he only taught them in New York City. And so I think the thing that really set this particular, you know, chain in motion that finally got me to, you know, put pen to paper in a more serious way and to say, wow, this is something I really want to pursue uh, was that first uh, introduction to comic book writing class that Andy Schmidt offered online so that I was actually able to take it from, you know, Virginia and get in there. And I think that's what really focused me and made me realize, you know, hey, I want to really give this a try. Now, when you were taking the classes online, um, was it a setup to where you would just hop online once a week to um, to take the class or um, was it set up to where you could take as many of these classes that were in a set at once or how did they space that out? Yeah, the way it's set up is um, when I took that first class, you sign up for the class. It lasted for, I believe, six weeks. And there would be once a week where you go into, it actually uses the WebEx software, if you've ever used that. Yes. You go into this um, uh, area where you know you can see each other on webcams, you can see Andy's desktop, you can chat, you can speak through the microphones. So it's really like an instructional setting where you're interacting with Andy. And he would you know spend... Um, I'm talking about, well, you know, this is the next step that we're all going to do in our stories. With the intro class, what he does is um, basically has everyone write their own original five-page story. And so he walks you through a process where, okay, first you're coming up with your kind of your sentence, uh, then you're doing character bios, you know, then maybe the next week you're um, doing a page breakdown, and you work through it week by week. Now, in between those classes, you've obviously got your homework that you're doing where you're writing on your story, but in addition to that, you're going online into the forums that are there, you know, in between the closed forums for the, the people in the class, and you're posting your work, and you're critiquing everybody else's work. And it's funny because when I went into it, my focus was really on that class and getting that knowledge from Andy, and that 
was all there and it was worth that. But what I didn't realize is how much value I was going to get out of seeing everybody else's work, critiquing their work, and them critiquing mine. So it's sort of like the growth process you go through over that six weeks, at least you know, for me and I know for a lot of my classmates, was, was sort of amazing. So it's a live weekly class for a period of time. Uh, you know, for the for the intro to writing class, and actually for the advanced writing class as well, that I just completed, and uh, um, and then it's all that interaction in between. And of course, what ends up happening is you end up getting to know the people in your class, and then you're kind of you kind of know them from there on out. You're <laughs> you're kind of getting a new group of friends and colleagues as you go through too. Yeah, it's pretty cool the way that all that that all works out. I've heard about the comics experience on an episode of Comic Geek Speak where um, where Mr. Schmidt talked about. Uh, talked about the uh, CEX. I was really impressed by it and the fact that they were able to actually come up with these online classes. So I think for those that are interested into getting into comics, whether it be as a writer or what have you, I think, or even understanding comics as a whole, I think this would be good for, you know, good for inexperienced or possibly even people that have writing experience that need that need to learn how to take that next step and not sure how. So I, I think that's a good thing. Yeah, I think, you know, the other kind of cool thing is, of course, you know, my focus is on the writing, but really he has expanded it out. He does, uh, and, and actually has been doing some of these classes for quite a while, was doing them in New York City and now online. Um, he's doing a, uh, you know, introduction to comic book penciling. Uh, I think the instructor for the next one coming up is, uh, you know, Robert Atkins, who does uh, a lot of work uh, on G.I. Joe, among, you know, among other things. Uh, there's an inking class. Uh, there's a comic book lettering and production class that's being taught by uh, Dave Sharp. And, uh, and for a while now, he's been doing coloring classes with uh, um, with uh, Soto, Chris uh, Sotomayor, who, of course, everybody knows from a million coloring jobs at, at Marvel and elsewhere. Um, so, so there's actually, you know, really, if you're interested in any part of... Uh, uh, comics creation, and you you know would like to get some some instruction and, and meet other folks that do it and everything. Now the other kind of cool thing about this is, kind of talking about that network is that because Andy's sort of at the hub of teaching folks these things all over, um, you can pretty easily end up hooking up with other folks other than your own area of expertise. So, for example, um, with that preview comic, um, the, the the special creatures unit preview that you got. Um, that cover was actually colored by um, Colleen Allen, who was a uh, you know a, a coloring student in one of Andy's uh, coloring classes. So that's it's sort of creating a network of of people that are you know trying to break in. I'm in the process of getting this book created. You had talked about how uh, Colleen Allen did the colors for the book. I mean, for the cover. But you had an artist by the name of uh, Leandro uh, Pack. See, I had I had I practiced for a half hour before we got on the phone. It's a, it's Panganiban. Panganiban. Okay, thank you. There you go. Thank you. And you know what? I, I practiced for a half hour and I was still wrong. So. <laughs> so yeah. Okay. Well, excellent. I I was I really like enjoy his art. And the one thing I noticed with the two stories. Um, with both stories that were written by you and, and you had the pencils uh, by Leandro and, and inks by Steve Bird. The one thing yeah. I noticed about both stories, I mean, both stories had, you know, solid art, but like there's a different type of story being told in breeding stock and the art was in certain panels. It was a, it was a touch different than in the, um, in the first story. I enjoy both stories thoroughly, but like when you look at the conversation between Vasquez and, um, 
And see, I done lost the name again. I am just terrible today. I should. Rinsky. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so. I apologize. I, oh, I'm so sorry. But um, when they're in the car and they're having a conversation, the way it's penciled and the way it's the way it's laid out and put together, it it really brings this dramatic feel to it. And I think that changed. And I don't know if it was done on purpose or not. But that style for like the next like uh, for the next like you know three three to five panels was fantastic. Is absolutely oh, yeah. fantastic. Well, no, no doubt that you know the the folks um, creating this with me uh, make me look good, right? I mean, this is a really I, I feel really lucky to be working with these folks. Um, you know, as you were saying, Leandro um, penciled both of those first two stories, and you know he's definitely a, an up and coming guy. He's you know making his living from his his art. But he's still, you know, kind of on the verge, breaking in on the comic front. Uh, you know, he's been working as a storyboard artist and doing character design for a, a company called Bigfoot Entertainment. Um, he actually did the creature design for a, 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 a Facebook flash game that's pretty popular called Lost Survivors. Um, and he's working on some you know, some other comic stuff right now as well. In fact, <laughs> in fact, he's actually doing the art right now for one of my comics experience writing colleagues. Uh, guy by the name of Josh Osborne and Leandro are working on a, on a book together um, called The Sidekick. I hope it's okay for me to mention that. But, oh, uh, <laughs> and Leandro actually did pencil both those stories. Now, the second story, Breeding Stock, he actually inked as well. So that's some of the difference you're seeing. That first story, as you were saying, was inked by um, Steve Bird, who um, you might know, he's got a done a lot of work for DC, um, did some Blue Beetle, did some Robin over the years. And so that might have brought a little bit different feel to it. I also think that, you know, as, as Leandro is working with those characters, he did the character designs, you know, from the beginning and the creature designs. You know, I think any artist is going to warm up to the characters as they go too. So I think that's, you know, that's, that's another part of it. Okay. Um, it and, and while we're talking collaborators, I've got to, I've got to give a shout out to my, um, Letterer uh, E.T. Dalman, who's done a lot of, you know, even now is doing a lot of work for EC Comics. He, um, if you look at the issues of FemForce out there on the stands, he's done just about everything in there. And, and the reason I say that is not only do I think he does great lettering, but he has really been, um, like Leandro uh, and Steve, you know, partners in this. He he does a lot of design work too. So the logos you see, he does uh, all the promotional stuff that you see at the cons. I mean, the guy is just a designing dynamo. So I, I'm really lucky that that I've got Leandro, Steve, and and Et on board. And I'm also really lucky that they all want to you know work with the project going forward and are committed to seeing where we can take this thing. It's always good to have a group of collaborators that have the same. Or as as much or more uh, inspiration, focus, and determination on on a collaborative project. So um, that that guarantees a, a much better chance of success um, than not. Yeah, it wouldn't be the same without those guys. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh, also, we we cannot forget the last story in this preview comic is a panda dog story, and yes. um, and it has art by Eve Yap. And I must say, for you know, for for being like a little sh a little short story, it's very cute and it's very funny. Yeah, thanks, Sean. It's a, yeah, that's actually uh, you know I kind of called that um, in terms of you know the front front stories of the Animal Control Special Creatures Unit. Um, that one in the back is set in that same universe, um, and actually some of that connects back in the in the broader story that that I'm you know I'm working on now, but. I, I could call that Panda Dog Adventures. And the original concept for Panda Dog Adventures, like you said, is you know a little bit more all ages or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, 
and really my idea with Panda Dog Adventures is to you work with different artists and because they're shorter stories or if you think of them almost like a backup feature or whatever my my goal and this is partially like a, just a challenge for myself as a writer is to try to write those stories for specific artists so what happened is when I was doing the artist search for um, the animal control book um, you know obviously I've struck gold with Leandro, you know, both in terms of how great he is to work with and, and also his, his talent. But I did find other folks that I thought, wow, you know, these folks are really talented. They might not be exactly what I'm looking for for the way I'm picturing animal control special creatures unit, but I want to work with them. And so when I came across Eve's work, she was one of the folks that I came across in that, that search, I knew I wanted to actually write a story for her. That's like specifically what I want to do and for her style. She's got a couple styles. She's uh, based in Malaysia, um, and she's done a lot of uh, manga work, you know, kind of anim anime-style stuff. Yes. Um, her, her work actually appeared in... Um, the mammoth book of best new manga volumes two and three and and she has like a painted style she does and then she also has a little bit more traditional style like the one you saw and uh and so i wanted to write something specifically that would kind of play that up and uh you know and so worked with her actually on the um you know the creature design of the the horned mastiff that's in that which is a cross between a rhino and, and an english mastiff um who's actually going to pop up in the main animal control story down the line just had a great experience working with her i'd love to love to work with her again on, on other stuff and i'm glad you enjoyed it yes see the thing most about animal control and the designer animals there used to be a cartoon when i was a kid it was called the wuzzles and it was by disney and it, it was on for a few years and i'm not sure if you remember this but the wuzzles basically they took two animals and put them together so you had like a lion uh and a bee put together and i forget and it was always some type of catchy a kooky name and then you had like an and then you had an elephant that was combined with another animal and and I remember watching this and I was just like you know what this is the dumb, the dumbest thing I've ever seen in my entire life but I couldn't stop watching it because it it was it was Disney and some and somehow you know they they just had my mind trapped and entranced by it but I I I thought of that for a second when I was reading when I was reading the uh, Panda Dog Adventures uh, story but the difference between that and something like the Wuzzles, whereas Wuzzles is pretty much for a set age set when it was out back in the 80s, early 90s, back in the 80s, I mean, when it was out in the 80s. Something like Panda Dog Adventures is all ages. And I think, you know, whether you're 8 or 83, you know, I, th I think it works. Oh, well, thanks. <laughs> I don't know if I deserve all that credit, but but I've never seen the Wuzzles, but but it sounds like I have to check it out now. <laughs> uh, I'm sure somebody's probably got on YouTube if if the Disney Corporation hasn't shut them down. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you, you're hurting yourself if if you even try to watch it for five seconds. If you can find some Gummy Bears episodes, just watch those. You'll be you'll be much happier uh, watching. <laughs> We've talked about what what was that push that got that got you into writing comics. We've talked a little bit about the comics experience, uh, collaborators. Talked, you know, we talked about uh, Kaminsky and Vasquez from Animal Control. I remembered the names. Yes, all right. <laughs> and um, you know, and all those things. But what is it like, really? That and we've talked a little bit about the joy of comics. But what is it most that you enjoy about comics? Well, you know, as a as a reader, it's definitely how imaginative they are and how many genres and kinds of stories there are out there. You know, so many people 
outside of comics think of comics as superheroes and only superheroes. And I love superheroes and I read superhero comics, but, but there's a lot of other stuff out there too. So I kind of love the range as a reader. As a writer, I think what it is is that I love that it's a visual medium um, so you get that, you know, great collaboration between the artist and, and the writer and everything, and you get all the, the, the benefit of it, you know, the show, you know, those ideas visually. Um, but that unlike, say, a movie, you have complete freedom. You know, you have no budget constraints on the story, anything that you can imagine and that you can collaborate with someone to, to put on paper, you can do. Um, I think that's one part of it. And then the other part of it that I really like is – it's not as solitary as writing a novel. And there's, you know, there's benefits and, you know, positives and negatives to that. But I like working with other people, you know, in, in any area. Uh, so I like that it's not as solitary as that. But it's not, um, but it can still be like a really focused vision of the story you want to tell. Whereas, again, if you kind of veer over into movies, there's going to be, you know, a couple hundred people involved in that vision and probably 20 producers giving you notes. Um, with comics, you can tell that story, you can tell it visually, you can do it without budget constraints, um, and it can still be that vision that you and just a handful of collaborators and your editor um, can put together. And I think that's what makes it so unique and what makes it sort of so compelling to me versus, you know, the other, the other ways that you could tell a story out there. Yeah. And and you would think with having no constraints on storytelling and with minimal involvement from others, you would think that more people and they and they may be we just you know, we just don't know the the actual numbers because the only numbers we really get are from direct market stores and diamond. But, you know, it makes me wonder how many people are really reading comics, because if they're not. You know, they may not either understand the form uh, fully or they still may be in that mindset. And I've talked about this before on other episodes that comics are just for kids. And it's not. It's such a, you know, massive medium, like you said before. And the possibilities are endless. And that's why sometimes with comic book films and, I, and you know, a lot of the films that have come out over the years have been really good. And we, yeah, we've had stinkers. <laughs> that's, you know, because once, you, once again, like you said, once you have so many people's input with, within a film, it's either going to accelerate it to greatness or put it all the way in the basement. And, you know, and that's, a, that's a problem, i.e. Ghostwriter. Apologies <laughs> to any, any, anybody who liked that film. I, I tried to like it. Eve, Menen Eve Mendez, Eva Mendez saved that movie for me. Her parts I was cool with, but the rest of the movie as a whole, it's just missing something. Um, you know, there's no excitement. There, you know, the the villains are weak, and it's a very bland story. So there's a lot missing there. But with like a Ghost Rider comic comic book, you could take it anywhere, and the and the writer and the creative team can do anything they want with it. And give you special effects that even a movie <laughs> that a movie budget may not be able to handle. I, I think if there was a proper way to introduce more people to say, "Hey, this is just as powerful." Yeah, you're going to have to read, but um, this is just as powerful if you give it a chance. Yeah, I mean, saying you know somebody say outside of comics are not familiar with it, saying I don't like comics is like saying I don't like stories. Because there's a story for every taste, you know. You can you can go read, you know, Area Ten, a Crime Vertigo book, and and get something completely different than, um, you know, what people might think of as as their standard. You can read, you know, Bone, you know, by Jeff Smith, or you can read Strangers in Paradise, or you know, Fables. There's so many uh, different things that that you can do. Such a range um, that I really think it's a matter of. Uh, 
for people that don't know about it, it's just because they haven't experienced it. it. And if, you know, how many stories have we heard about, you know, somebody getting something like Walking Dead into somebody's hands that didn't read comic books at all, and the next thing you know, they're going out and trying to seek out the trade paperbacks. Um, you know, I know that story was true for my brother. He hadn't read comics since a very young age. Uh, we were on vacation at the, you know, at the beach. I was just burning through those Kirkman Walking Dead trade paperbacks, and I said, you know, you've really got to try this. Just just try it. Just look at it. I know you don't read comics. Just try it. And he spent about a day of our family's beach vacation holed up inside reading the straight paperbacks <laughs> one after another. You know, my family's like, don't you want to come to the beach? I'll be there soon. <laughs> so, you know, it's out there. there. There's so many more people that would love the stuff that's out there than are actually reading it. And, you know, I mean, you've talked about it before. Everybody's talked about it. It's, uh, you know, there's a lot of issues that are involved in why that hasn't happened, but um, you know it's a shame that there aren't more people reading them now. There should be. Oh yeah, and there's nothing more irritating. And you mentioned this a second ago when people say I don't like comics. I've met people that said, you know what, I really like Bone and I really like reading Bone, but I don't like comics. I'm like, you just read one. <laughs> <laughs> do you do you realize how silly your argument sounds right now? You just read yeah. a comic, or they'll or they'll be like, well. You know, I like, you know, reading, still reading um, old Peanuts or Charlie Brown strips in the newspaper, but I don't like comics. I'm like, you just read a comic. Do you not, li- can you hear the words that are coming out of your mouth right now? You make no <laughs> sense to me. Please help me, help me help you right now. So, yeah, yeah it, it, dri- it drives me up a wall. So, no, I, I, I know how you feel about that. IDW, like a lot of companies now, um, I've noticed an increase in licensed properties becoming comics. Uh, with Dynamite, we've had Green Hornet and a slew of Green Hornet titles. Uh, with, say, for anything else, I've read Sonya, IDW has Transformers, G.I. Joe, uh, Hasbro line. They have, let's see, they also for a period of time had a book that was um, influenced by uh, Michael Chiklis and stuff like that. Now, in your personal opinion, how do you feel about uh, licensed properties, you know, becoming comic books. I mean, we dealt with that a lot as as kids in the seventies and eighties. I, you know, I personally don't have a problem with. There's certain issues that I have, but um, as a whole, I don't have it. I don't have a problem with licensed property comic books, but um, you know, because to me, they're all licensed properties. If if you really think about it, yeah, some somebody owns them somewhere. I mean, I certainly, you know, my thing is good storytelling. So I don't care whether it's a licensed product or it's a product, you know, it's something that Marvel owns or it's something that's creator owned. If it's a good story I'm going to be interested in. I probably lean in terms of my own personal taste a little bit uh, more towards loving the, the creator owned stuff. Yes. But, but that's just in terms of my personal reading. I think, you know, I, and I know you, you know this, the popularity of the licensed products are because people buy what they know. And so, uh, even with something like Green Hornet, where uh, you know Dynamite has, I think, made a huge push with the license that they had, um, getting it out there before the movie, people recognize that name. They're more likely to pick it up than maybe something that they've never heard of. And in, I think in this market right now, where it is tough for unknown properties and creator-owned properties to get a foothold in, you know, it's a leg up. I, I think the other thing I will say is that 
you know, at some companies, um, and I'm thinking back, now I'm thinking way back to the early days of, say, Dark Horse, mm-hmm. there's at least been a history of some companies being able to do uh, creator-owned stuff because they had the revenue stream um, of the licensed products supporting that. And, and hopefully they're telling good stories with those licensed products, too. I think, actually, IDW is an example of that because they certainly had their roots in creator-owned stuff. I mean, 30 Days of Night was, was the thing that kind of, you know, one of the big things that sparked them. Um, but at the same time, they've had a lot of success telling, you know, I think some really good stories with licensed products. Well, you know, one, one to some extent makes the other possible, I think. And so, uh, I guess from a creator perspective, maybe that's, that's also a benefit of, of companies doing, you know, a mix of things. Yes. No, and, and I, and I agree with you on that. My, my whole thing is I have, as I said before, <clears throat> excuse me, as I said before, I have no problems with license pro with licensed properties as a whole, especially if you're using it to balance out, to balance out, to be able to create, to create, you know, original properties and whatnot. My issue has always been, and it's and it's been like this for ages. You'll have some licensed properties. There are some companies that get it, and you know, and they'll have their you know they'll have their t- their teams together and ready to roll. And the art is solid, and the stories are solid. Then you'll have other licensed properties where they can get a pretty good writer on the, but they just throw throw away the rest. And and the art isn't up to snuff because people just say, well, it's the property. People will buy it for the property. And I and I never understood that. I I mean, never in my life. I mean, as a kid, um, in the in the seventies, early eighties, I had Shogun Warriors by um, with art by Herb Trempy. I had Godzilla with you know. Well, I think I think Herb may have done art on that too. I'm not I'm not a hundred percent sure. I can't remember. He did some. He did some of it because I bought them. <laughs> <laughs> and and I and I also um, you know there were tons of licensed properties that um that they had and you know and then not all of them were good battlestar galactica was a perfect perfect example from marvel in this in like the late 70s early 80s i wanted to like that book as a kid and it was bad a friend of mine sent me the first issue uh, about a month ago and i read it again i'm like it's still bad <laughs> but um <laughs> but you know, there, yeah well hey oh, oh go ahead <laughs> I'm I'm always bummed when I read you know a comic that I think could have been better and and you know as a as a writer you know yourself it's just like going to a movie as well you see a bad movie and you go oh oh that could have been so good why couldn't they have done this why couldn't they have done that so yeah I hate to see any you know especially something where someone is you know you trading on the name of, of the people know you hate to see it suck yeah (laughs) (laughs) yes so yeah i i I hate i hate sucky comics that's definitely true yeah i mean i I just you know i just want good books all around that's all i want i know and i know everything can't be a hit that's just that's just a part of life it's part of the game i understand it but i remember just like over over the over the decades how there would be a certain licensed property and i would get so excited because like oh one of my favorite cartoons has a comic book yes and I would run to the store and I'd pick it up and that front cover would be great. And I'd open up that first page and it's just like, oh. <laughs> and then, you know, as a kid, as a kid, you tell yourself it's going to get better. So you buy that next issue and you buy that next issue. And then <laughs> I remember one time my mom was like, why do you keep buying this book? You don't like it. Why do you keep buying it? I'm like, because I, I like this. I, I just don't like the art. She's like, stop it. <laughs> She's like, go buy another book that you might like. And she actually got me hooked on Iron Man as a as a kid. Oh, there you go. You see, good. I, I can blame my mother for my comic book addiction, my cartoon addiction, and my movie addiction. You can thank her for it. It's more like it, right? yeah, yes, I thank I, her for yes, it. Yes, yeah, thank yeah, thank you. I, I, I thank her. I thank her for it. Uh, it cracks me up, man. Uh, she would she would go if she was out and about, 
And I was like, say, for instance, like over at house, like grandma's house or whatever. She would come by before she had to go to work. She would drop me off over at grandma's house and she would give me a book. And one of the first books she gave me, I was real upset because I think I got a, um, not a Star Wars comic. I think I got a Star Trek comic. It was a Marvel Star Trek comic and it wasn't very good. And I was just, and I was mad. And she said, look, here's, here's the Iron Man book. And it was a trade paperback. And it wasn't a standard form, but it was called The Power of Iron Man. Iron Man. It had a Bill Sienkiewicz front cover. And I looked mm. at that, and it was just, and like, it kind of freaked me out because I'd never seen Sienkiewicz, uh, Sienkiewicz artwork before. And I was like, whoa, what is this? And it was uh, the Demon in the Bottle storyline. I read that from front to back for like five straight days. Yeah, it was a great story. I loved that story when I was a kid, when I read that. It was just uh, hooked you in. I was like, wow, this is like the real world. This is real, you know? <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. You know, Bob Layton interiors and all that stuff. And she got me hooked on Iron Man. So I was like the biggest Iron Man fan in the world from the Layton run to, you know, from like the original, you know, that, st- that armor he had um, when, when Layton started to, you know, the the Silver Centurion Iron Man with Mark Bright artwork, then back to Bob Layton, then Ramita and John Byrne came on it. You know, I was I was down from like the late like the eighties all the way through to like the early nineties. I was down. And I have my mother to, to thank for that. Speaking of moms, I mean my you know, my family's been real supportive of the, the comic stuff I've been doing. But I still think that the moment when I was forever hooked on comics was when I was, you know, I don't know, in elementary school or something. And I was taking my allowance every week and buying every, you know, as many comics as could be bought with that allowance. And I can still remember that first time that there's a price increase and I couldn't buy as many comics as I did the week before it was trauma. But, But the true trauma was, you know, at some point, when I was still young, my mom realized I was spending all of my allowance on comics and basically said, okay, you're no longer allowed to spend all of your allowance on comics. Even though that might be the only thing in the world I wanted to spend that money on, yeah. I could only buy three comics a week. And I can remember standing in front of the stands and seeing all these other books going by and having to pick three. And I don't think I ever got over it. I think you know, ever after, because I, I was uh, deprived of all the comics I wanted, you know, I, I could never stop buying them after that. Once I got old enough to be in control of them myself, so you know, no. love my mom. She supports the comic thing now, but you know, maybe maybe she has to do with me being hooked on them still because of that. Yeah, no, no I I remember um, my father when he used to pick me up. He would he uh, found a local comic book store and he would take me every week and he uh, got me a um, a pull list and he said, you know, you can only spend X amount of dollars every week. But you can have a pull list. But if you go over this, then we got to have a talk. So I rem- just like you, I remember when comics went from like, you know, 60 to 65 cents. I freaked out. <laughs> I mean, it was like that was just a nickel increase. And I freaked the hell out. I didn't know yeah. what to yeah. do. It's like, I can't get all these books. What's going to happen? And, you know, and my dad's like, it's OK. It just went up five cents. You're only going to miss, you know, possibly if you have 12 books on your pool list, you might miss one book. You can come back and get it later. It's okay. I mean, I was hyperventilating. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. I was the same way. You know, it was the end of the world for me. So I'm going to calm down. He's like, you'll be able to get that, that issue of the thing when he joined that Super Wrestling League next week. It's going to be OK. It's going to be <laughs> all right. But um, but yeah, yeah. My my parents, uh, you know, like your parents, were very uh, influential in in you know for me getting into comics, and I I can't say thanks enough for that.
What are some of your main influences as far as like on the art side and the uh, writing side? Uh, well, let's see, you know, the writing side, um, definitely, you know, more recently, uh, Robert Kirkman, I've been reading pretty much everything that, that he writes, but I think also not only his writing, but just in terms of his career, his manifesto, you know, his, his push with image, uh, all of that. I think going back just a little bit farther, um, folks I still read, but that really influenced me um, were, were Terry Moore, um, with Strangers in Paradise and Echo Now, Jeff Smith, definitely I mentioned, kind of kind of going back, uh, Bill Willingham, back in the uh, the day when he was doing Elementals and, and doing his own stuff, and Fables now, you know, I still follow, you know, I would say all those folks are people that I, I look at what they did with their stories and the way that they approach things um, and, and strive for different parts of what, what they're doing, just try to try to reach that, that goal far out there. Um, Somebody else I've been following recently um, is uh, Nick Spencer, and uh, he, he's had quite a lot happening lately. Um, I just recently read his book, uh, Forgetless, uh, after reading that, some of his other stuff like Existence 2.0, and uh, uh, I think, you know, part of that part of that there is he's a, a comics experience uh, grad, too, from back in the days when it was in New York City, and so I've been kind of following his career and have been... Uh, you know, impressed with what, what he's done with that stuff. I mean, I think on the art side, I got to go old school um, and say, you know, going way back, um, you know, John Buscema, especially when he was inked by Joe Sennett, um, Gene Colan, I was a huge fan of. I'm still to this day a huge fan of George Perez yes. um, and folks that, that you know, kind of show that influence like Phil Jimenez. Um, and then, you know, of course, I love all the folks that everybody else loves. I, I can't get enough of Frank Cho or Adam Hughes, <laughs> um, you know, the, the usual suspects. Yes. Oh, no, no. Un understandable. One of the like first Fantastic Four books I ever bought, it was just a random comic book store. Uh, was they had just like all these back issues. And I didn't know, you know, I couldn't tell it to me. I couldn't tell the difference between comics on the shelf and comics in the bin. I, I didn't understand. So I just went and I saw a area that said Fantastic Four. And one of the first uh, Fantastic Four books I bought was a um, George Perez Fantastic Four comic. And so I was like, oh, okay, cool. And this was before Perez was Perez when he like yeah. when he when he, like he flexes muscles on the Avengers, you know, Wonder Woman, all that stuff. Um, you know, Crisis on Infinite Earths. That's when I really understood who George Perez was. Is when I read Crisis, you know, because I you know his art style was so cinematic in, in Crisis, yeah. especially if you read if you read the Absolute Edition of, of Crisis, um, you know, because it's oversized. It makes it makes his artwork look even more fantastic than it did, you know, than it than it than it was when it originally appeared. So, um, so yeah, yeah. The characters, the characters he packed into that. I mean, it's just you know, I mean, that's what he's become legendary for. Obviously, whether it's Legion of Three Worlds or Avengers versus JLA or Back to Crisis, you know, it it just screams to be produced at a bigger size. Yeah. There's so much detail. Oh, it's it's amazing the the amount of things that I missed that I missed that you know that I didn't see. Um, from reading the original series, to which I, you know, pretty much read until the pages fell off in each individual issue, to the absolute edition, and I'm like, wow, I didn't even see that. I didn't even see that. Now, granted, a lot of that's due to printing quality, and you know, just you know, basic deterioration of a uh, comic book, pa you know, paper pages. But um, the the absolute makes it all stand out, and the color job is just wonderful. Back to the comics experience. Uh, comics experience. Um, you have recently joined the comics comics experience staff. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about what you're going to be doing with uh, the comics comics experience? 
Yeah, I'd love to. Actually, um, it's funny because I think that just became official uh, essentially today, um, which I'm really excited about. I feel like what were those old ads like the Hair Club for Men, you know, where they would say, I loved it so much, I, I'm a customer myself or something like that. I, the, the, the classes have been such a kind of life-changing experience for me, getting me to finally really buckle down and, and run with this you know, love of comics that I have um, that – you know, when the opportunity presented itself to get more involved with it, um, with comics experience as, you know, as a business, I really jumped at the chance. And um, the, the way that I'm involved is actually a whole new um, service that, that Andy is going to be offering, um, which is called the Comics Experience Writers Workshop. Basically, where that, just to kind of tell you a little bit about that, you know, I mentioned earlier that I've been kind of writing over the years, also like prose, science fiction, and that sort of thing. And, and when I did that, one of the reasons why I think I had more success at that and, and stayed more focused and everything was that I, you know, got involved with writers groups or writers workshops, which are pretty common in, in a lot of uh, genre fiction and science fiction, where um, either in person or, um, you know, since the 90s online, you're working with another group of folks who are also writers and are who kind of encouraging each other and critiquing each other's work and all that sort of stuff. And I always wanted to find kind of the equivalent of that with comic books. And there are certainly some you know, great creator forums out there where people can uh, post work and try to help each other along. But, you know, for me, I always needed like a little bit more focus. I needed, uh, you know, a little, you know, deadlines and, and, and just another step up. And so I got that, you know, as I was describing earlier with the comics experience classes, during the classes, you know, having the deadlines, having, um, you know, a group of colleagues critiquing each other's work, seeing whether people is, you know, were doing in a focused way, inspiring me. But then the class would end, and I would be like, "Ah, I need that to keep going. I want, you know, I want that feedback. I want to to see what other people are doing too." And so, since really, I want to say, like the end of last year, uh, Andy and I had been bouncing around this idea, uh, just an email, and I think it's something that Andy had been thinking about, you know, much longer than that, which is creating an online writers' workshop where. Um, on an ongoing basis, not tied to a class for a certain period of time, um, people who are really serious about um, comics writing and really want to, you know, either break in or improve their craft or whatever, can get together, um, you know, in, a, in, in an environment and really work on their craft. So just to kind of describe what, you know, what we're doing with this, we're um, – setting up, and I should say, folks can read more about this on the Comics Experience website, which is just uh, comicsexperience.com, um, and just look up the Writer's Workshop. What we're doing is we're setting up a members-only forum where folks can go in and post scripts or outlines or pitches or whatever they want and get critiques from the other members uh, of the forum. Obviously, and I think this is underrated if people haven't done it, um, you also have the opportunity to critique other people's stories. And I've been sort of amazed over time how much I've learned from my own writing from doing that. So, so all of that, I think, is, is you know, pretty cool. And, and some of that you can get at other forms. I think the things that make this really unique are that every month, all the members of that workshop are going to get together online, live, you know, with the video cams, if you, know, you want to be on the video or whatever, <laughs> um, with Andy. 
And Andy is going to bring all his experience from Marvel and from IDW um, and from all his time teaching um, to review a script there for the class, for people to kind of, you know, for that person to get that feedback, for everybody else, for, but for everybody else in the class to also learn from that critique, too, from their own storytelling. And then he's going to follow that up with a question and answer session on basically anything, whether it's about writing or about the comics business or about how you set print runs or how you pitch or, you know, where you go, all those kinds of things that he really has a lot of knowledge about. Then on top of that, every month, we're going to bring in a professional comics editor or writer, in addition to Andy, who is going to look through all the stuff that's been posted during that month and make an editor's pick and do a written critique of that, say, script, again, for everybody to see. So not only does the person who did that um, get the benefit of that feedback and get to say, hey, this is an editor's pick, <laughs> right? But, um, but also for everyone to learn from that. And so I think, um, you know, we, we've got a lot of other things going on. We're going to do like monthly writing challenges where people can kind of stretch, you know, their, their creative muscles. Let's all, you know, write a story without words. Let's write a story that's, you know, all in captions, you know, you know, et cetera, just things to really kind of stretch. But I think it's going to be an opportunity for folks to get in with a group of colleagues who are really focused on this. You don't have to be a comics experience uh, alum to get involved in it and, and get people in there and really help each other succeed and push forward, whether it's with your own creator-owned stuff or it's trying to break in you know, to the established publishers or both at the same time. It's, it's something that I've wanted myself for years, and so that's why I was really excited to get involved with it you know, with Andy. And I'll, and I'll just add that in addition to launching this writer's workshop, at the same time, this is also on the site, um, Andy is launching an artist's workshop that's very similar um, to what I just described. Um, on that artist's workshop, it's actually Andy and uh, John Barber will be involved with that. Folks probably know John as a, as a formal Marvel editor who worked on the Ultimates line and, and Dark Tower, was involved in Old Man Logan, and continues to actually freelance edit Kick-Ass to this day with Mark Miller. Um, but he also has been doing um, self-publishing and web comics as a writer and an artist for many years. He's got a web comic out there right now called Outside Infinity. Uh, it's pretty, pretty cool. And uh, so John is going to be bringing both that artist and that uh, you know, editor experience that artist workshop as well, where artists will be able to um, get those same kinds of benefits. So I'm, I mean, I guess you can tell I'm pretty uh, excited about this and uh, I'm really looking forward to, to getting in there and, and getting it up and running with folks. That's a plethora of uh, knowledge and experience that can be distributed to people that really want to make a mark or, you know, make a mark in the industry, man. Yeah, I think that's a great thing. Yeah, well, thanks. I hope people, uh, you know, come by and check it out because, uh, just based on my experience with the classes themselves, the value you get out of working with, um, you know, a, a really a good solid group of, of people that are really interested in uh, building their craft and, and learning about comics writing it, uh, it just made all the it made a world of difference for me. Animal Control Special Creatures Unit wouldn't have been written the way it was or be in print today if it hadn't been for uh, for that experience. So. Um, I'm looking forward to bringing my own writing forward. I have a you know a lot to learn still, um, and, and learning from other folks and and helping other folks as well. I th I just think that's a wonderful concept to put together for people. And um, shoot, I might I might even hop in on that. <laughs> hey, I would I would love to to have you in there. I I, I 
can, I know I would learn a ton from working with you. <laughs> oh, oh no, no. <laughs> I, hey, listen, I, I have a lot to learn myself. I, you know, I've I've learned a lot from the books I've read and from and from like my fellow associates who like work in comics on the small on the small press, independent and mid level and mid level size, uh, you know, sides. I mean, and you know, I I still personally feel that I have a lot to learn. Um, you know, I've got I've we've I shouldn't say I because I didn't do this alone. We've put out a lot of books over the past couple of years and I, I feel more confident in what we do now than I did, you know, two and a half, two and a half years ago. But there's still some things that I know I need to personally grow on. But I think this this has been the year where I've been able to kind of see that now. So it's time for me to try to pick up on those things and and, and a workshop, you know, time permitting, I think would uh might do me some good. <laughs> is mean, you you've been doing the most important thing which is you've been actually out there creating and you know I'm I'm repeating Andy on this but it was certainly true for me you know he talks about the fact that he talks to so many people people that come up and pitch to him you know in his in his day job and everything else that have great ideas but writers don't just have ideas writers write right <laughs> and there's way more people out there that talk about writing or think they could write than that actually say okay, now I'm going to actually write. And now for me, I, I needed to have other people around me that were doing it and to have uh, that, mo- you know, a little, little bit of help, you know, staying focused on one story and not starting the next one before I finished. But, you know, that's what, that's what you've been doing. You've been going out there and you've been producing this stuff, you know, whether it's Mercury and the Murd or it's Agents, you know, Colt, uh, of Colt and, you know, all that stuff. You have been producing that stuff. And so that's the thing, you, you, you know, I know I learn more from actually doing it even if I've got so much room to improve still, which I do, um, just doing it uh, makes such a difference. And, and that's, you know, that's definitely what the workshop is all about. Before we go, because when this episode airs, um, it should be about a week, a week away from the uh, Baltimore Comic-Con. So um, now will you be attending the Baltimore Comic-Con? I, I will be. I'll be uh, in Baltimore. In fact, um, you know, we were talking about Heroes Con at the beginning. Heroes Con was actually the first show that I had done with, you know, my own table where I was trying to promote Animal Control Special Creatures Unit. Baltimore will be the second. I'm I'm very excited. They'll, you know, I hope folks will, if they're there, come by and see me at the Panda Dog Press booth. Just look for the uh, the Panda Dog peen on the logo. That's that's it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and I'll be there with the Animal Control Special Creatures Unit uh, preview book that we've been talking about, and also uh, the Tales from the Comics Experience Anthology, which uh, you know my classmates and I put together um, after we finished our Intro to Comic Book Writing class. So um, you know be there to to talk about Animal Control and Panda Dog Press and uh, any questions people have about the Comics Experience uh, Writers Workshop or anything else i uh, you know love to talk to folks and you know don't be shy please come by <laughs> oh, oh yeah definitely please um if, if you get a chance to meet rob to ask him and talk to him about the comics comics experience and pick up a copy of the uh, panda of the panda dog press animal control special creatures unit preview um you got to get it See, in, in all seriousness i know people say well you know sean's just being real nice he's always nice on his shows and and stuff i'm like well it's obvious you've never heard my superman returns rant but what I mean by that, what I mean by that is, is that I don't say these things to just say them, you know, because I wouldn't have Rob on the show if I didn't believe in, you know, what you were trying to put out there. So, well, thanks, thanks, Sean. 
I, I appreciate that. Thanks for having me on the show. And I'll, I'll just say to folks, if, if they want to check it out, if they want to see um, you know, Leandro's art and Steve's inks and, and uh, everything, they can check it out at uh, pandadogpress.com. So uh, if you want to see, if they want to see what you're talking about or what we're talking about, uh, you know, please, uh, um, I hope they'll check it out. Fantastic. Rob, thank you again for, uh, for being on the show. Um, I, I appreciate it very much and uh, look forward to talking to you again. Yeah, I can't wait to see you in person at one of these cons. On the line uh, right now for our Panda Packed Action Field episode, I've got Sean Cosley. I did pronounce that name, the last name correct, right? Sir. All right. Uh, Sean Cosley. He is the creator of the hit web comic Panda Force, pandaforcecomic.com. Sean, how you doing this evening? I'm doing good, man. It's good to be on here with you. Finally getting together here, the two Shans. Yes. Oh, yeah. We told, we, I told you we was going to make this a reality. I know. Webcomic worlds colliding. I like it. Yes. Also on the line is another friend colleague future owner of the rick flair robe collection and heavyweight championship belt he is the creator of the hit web comic ants ladies and gentlemen you've heard him on the show before julian lytle julian how you doing sir oh i'm doing all right man i'm doing real good it's my finest hour that's what it is that's how good it is (laughs) that's what else i'm talking about um, the reason why I have these two gentlemen on the show this evening, as I said before, this is a panda-centered episode, and the Panda Force uh, webcomic, the Panda Force series at pandaforcecomic.com is celebrating their Panda Force summer shorts. So I tell you what, before we get into Panda Force summer shorts and letting the people know what that's about, Sean, seeing that you created Panda Force, can you tell the people how Panda Force came to be and what what is it all about? Oh, where to start? Well, first of all, my compatriot Julian over there, he uh, got me into web comics. I should say I was just kind of toiling away in the illustration world. And uh, I've known Julian since, God, Julian, when did we meet? Back in 2002. Yeah, man. I mean, I was just dating my wife at the time back then and so the the center character of the story wasn't even but a thought but uh julian got me into comics man once he turned me on to the world of web comics i had this idea that um came about from going to the the uh, zuda comic site at the time which is the of course the dc imprint online imprint and i kind of had this uh idea bubbling in my head for a while I pull a, a inspiration through all my art from you know my life, and at the time, my my daughter, who was only about six months at the time, um, was my main source of inspiration. And she's just kind of the center of my world, and um, I don't know. It just came from there. You know, my wife and I were playing a lot of old school Nintendo, a lot of old school Super Mario and Mega Man, and Rowan, my daughter, she had this. Uh, panda towel that when you wrapped it around her it looked like she was wearing a panda outfit so i just kind of the the idea just kind of spawned from there and i just thought i would work up a quick eight page comic and send it into zuda see what happened and i had a great experience on zuda i you know got my butt handed to me in the competition but you know it's such a great experience and seeing all the you know, creators out there. I just wanted to keep continuing it on and I get motivation from seeing, you know, artists like Julian and yourself that, you know, constantly put the work in and, you know, we'll do this for the love of doing it. 
So that's you know that's pretty much the background story on it. The one thing that that always got me and still gets me with Panda Force is you know it's all ages you know it, it, it's for it's for everybody and I just, the bright colors the vibrant colors I know I know sometimes you know people like get on me because I joke about neon ninjas and stuff but like with with Panda Force the the bright colors like just intensify the story and just you know make it even you know make it even more fun I mean plus you know there's solid storytelling and the um hyper stylized artwork too on top of that and I I just dig it. Well thanks man I appreciate it. You know I just I go all in with it you know it's uh when I'm doing it it's only updating you know once every other week one page every other week so I know that's kind of feels like you know just the story's crawling along but you know I don't I don't want to put anything up there on the site that I know is not my 100% effort. So that that's why it takes a little bit of time to get it up there and oh it's you know it's a lot of work but it's fun man. I mean we do this for the love of it, you know. Oh yeah. So you also talked about uh the moment that um Panda Force, you know, was on Zuda uh for a minute during a competition and yes. as, and as we all know, you know Zuda is no more. Damn shame. Yeah, it is. And it, and it, and, it, and it bothers me. Here's why it bothers me. I mean, I'm happy okay for the people that had stuff published through Zuda that um you know that were able to stay on with DC Comics uh you know online um or like their iPad app or Comicsology or whatever to get the stuff digitally that's cool I'm happy for them because at least they'll be able to get some paper okay but they didn't pull everybody they didn't take everybody with them on the boat they <laughs> you know they they took they they took some people now granted the first personnel at Zuda were very um responsible in getting a hold of everybody talking consulting with people so I give them props for that because they handled that like pros because I just didn't understand the point of hey we finally got our you know we finally got our DC app up and running oh there's no need for Zuda what see I didn't yeah. under, I didn't understand that it, I think it's just a it's a lack of you know of an idea you know it's just they killed an idea you know they could have i understand probably the overhead got to a point where you know i mean they're paying every every person that gets into the competition which is great i mean it's a great motivate you know motivator to get you to submit something but the the larger thing that i think that they really squashed in, in my opinion is the the community aspect of it they had a really large community that was building and not to say it's dead at all because you know a lot of people still go on the boards and mm -hmm. communicate and a, a lot of those you know, Zuda guy still give me a lot of props and keep in touch. But I think what they really squashed was the opportunity to really keep building, you know, keep the momentum going on a on a community. And I think they they might have let the scare of overhead and probably how much things were costing and you know really run them into the ground. I mean, I'm, I'm I don't know any of the details. I mean, I'm right. just speaking off the top of my dome piece. But that's just the the feeling I get. And you know, I mean, they're they're trying to you know they're making money on their print cells and people paying for the downloads now on comiXology which is great you know but I, I think i mean how do you keep growing your fan base the way that they were doing it which was a it was a very grassroots very cool thing you know and i think if they had just taken the time to try to rethink the way that the site worked instead of just taking the complete axe to it i don't think the new people in charge really wanted to to go through that it's like they got new people it's not the same people. It's not Levitz. I don't know if it's Richard Bruning. I don't know. It's like all new people. It's the D.O., Jim Lee, the new chick, two other cats that run the money. Like, they probably didn't want to deal with that. It's Jeff Johns. You know, they would probably just like squash it, do other stuff, fold people in. But I, I don't, I think with the changeover, it's like the government. When you get a new administration, 
you know, stuff from the old administration going to go. I think what, what gets me more than anything is, is that I, I just don't think they really just looked at the overall scope. Because I think for me, this was like one of DC, DC Comics' um, positive ways of getting original material out there that wasn't in Vertigo. You know what I mean? Oh, man. Yeah. And, and you know what? They're, they're just spotlighting so much creative talent, man. I mean, it's unbelievable. Like, you know, if, when you'll see the, you know, people come and read the Panda 4 shorts, I mean, I'm, I, I had a lot of people that I met through Zuda do, you know, some of the Panda 4 shorts. And, man, I mean, they're talented people. They could be doing work right now. Like, re- you know, real work, real pay- good, honest pan work. And, you know, you, you could see that throughout, you know, the competitions on Zoot. I mean, that, that place was just a, a, just a grounds for talent. Yeah. I mean, you could, you could just be a small publisher and just go look on Zuda to find somebody to letter your next comic or if you need a colorist or, you know, because these are people that are, they're, you know, they're, they're just, they're uh, sweating for a job, you know. I mean, they, they want to they do work. They love what they're doing. It was it, to me. It was it was it was the perfect gateway. And granted, look, I I did not always agree with the Zuda voting process. I never really truly understood it. But as soon as they said we're getting rid of the voting process and we're going to you know work on a on a new process to a submission process, that was like the light bulb. Was yep, and that was a light bulb that popped them in my head that just said you know what something's up. And it always just kind of bugged me. And then boof. It's yeah, gone. you're just waiting for the other shoe to drop. It was like, it was that kind of surprise, like when um, you was watching like the next, you was watching Fresh Prince of Bel Air, and then like the next season rolled around, and it was a different Aunt Viv. Like, oh yes. I'm like, wait a minute, when did this happen? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I, I, speaking on that, I can't wait to watch that TV One special talking to the original Aunt Viv and why she got cut off. I got that on the DVR. Oh, you do? You gotta let me know how that is because we try, we DVR'd it, but what happened is we had like a major thunderstorm. We've had the strangest thunderstorm this week here in Lexington um, you know of this during this recording and I mean dude it's raining so hard it's raining sideways okay yeah I hear that <laughs> and like you know lightning is coming like, down like Thor's Dorothy's got house is spinning by you yes Thor's, Witch of the West. Thor's hammer is spinning lightning is coming <laughs> out okay he's angry he's angry see yeah. when that stuff happened that's when some lose their egos and somebody <laughs> got to catch your ass beaten <laughs> see uh, I'm for real the gods are heated and like I recorded that but the thunderstorm took him out <sighs> Took him out. So, so you got to let me know how that is, Julian. That's you dagger. Yo, it almost. Uh, I had a my direct TV experience of the week was uh, it, the storm hit like two minutes after True Blood wrapped up. Oh, I oh, think God. I would shoot somebody. I was I like, I "That's right, somebody. son. You better back off." <laughs> after True Blood, now, all right. Oh, got to find out what's going on next Sunday. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> See, my wife is hooked on True Blood, man. Like she's went through Netflix. And like, watch the first two seasons, and Listen, like, because women like sexy werewolves and vampires. We know this already. Yes, dude, dude, it's off the chain. I get to see, I get to see Tigo Biddies yes. every week, every week. <laughs> I get to see somebody get messed up, cut up, or something every week. That shows everything for like men and women. And God bless HBO for putting on that show. <laughs> God bless them. talk with julian for a second and and rap to the people about ants ants and because you know you've been on the show before and we kind of talked about ants but we didn't really get to talk about it talk about it your webcomic was glyph nominated as well right yeah man i lost a world of hurt what like man 
Now that's a good, that's a good, that's a good that's, comic. That's, I yeah, that's a good one to like, lose to, though. That's a good one to I lose know. to. I was like, dang, why I got to be up against World of Hurt? Yeah, World of Hurt that ain't joint, no joke. That joint is like freaking Rip Kirby, but for, with black people in it. And it's like, <laughs> like how would we defeat that? Like, Yo, man, that book, that, that comic is so cinematic. It's, it's ridiculous how cinematic that comic is, yeah. man. It's beautiful. It really yeah, is. That's, that's the, probably the trillest thing. Like, I gotta, I gotta go dig through my ideas and pull out something to handle that. To, you know, counteract that gangster. You know, <laughs> I feel that's that made me feel like Jordan versus Magic or something right there. I need to go <laughs> craft up some new stuff. Like, I gotta get this ring. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. World of Hurt was was major, man. Like when I first saw that, I thought I was back in the seventies picking up a Marvel premiere magazine. So, yo, yo, you wish Marvel was putting out work like that right now. Oh yeah, oh, no, I wish. No question. What, why ain't he drawing Luke Cage comic right now? Back in the day, Luke Cage comic. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Yes. With man. the with the daughters of the dragon in it. Gaston Eye Fist. Yes. And, and every issue. And Luke and Luke Cage has to have the chain belt. The chain belt with the circlet <laughs> and the yellow shirt. And Shane Chi pops up like every three, four issues. Yo, that would that would just be cause. Fabulous. Just cause. Yes. <laughs> but you got you okay. Let's talk about Ants though. Okay, now, can you tell folks what Ants is all about and how it came about as far as the creation of the uh, Glyph-nominated Ants? Okay, Ants is essentially a comic that satirizes pop culture, really culture and everything, because I'll talk about politics or whatever's going on. You know, I've been kind of tired, so I ain't really get to get on Elena Kagan and all them. But it, it talks about everything from a more urban perspective because I felt you know when Aaron Magruder stopped doing Boondocks as a comic strip to do his show you know I'm not specifically trying to be the Boondocks but there's a certain voice in comics that ain't been there and web comics ain't had that voice neither like really most of popular web comics is nothing but nerds talking about nerd stuff like they talk about games they talk about like games that I ain't never play I don't want to play I want to play D&D I want to play Magic I don't know what I, don't, I barely know what a twenty sided die is. I learned what Cthulhu was in, in like two thousand eight. Like, <laughs> yo, in the streets, we play Madden, we play Street Fighter, mm-hmm. we play Tekken. Yes, that's what my characters play. They might shoot somebody in the face. They play Final Fight. They play Double Dragon. They play Ninja Turtles Arcade. You oh, know, stuff like that. Classic. You know what I'm saying? Games where you need like a joystick and you can't talk trash over the internet. You got to yep. do a fan to man. Yes. You had to go to the Amen. pizza hut and play Street Fighter. You say something wrong, you might get smacked in the face. <laughs> yes. Because that was, that was grown man business. You go some places where they still got arcades. Some of these cats be on Xbox Live would never say the stuff they would say online if they actually had to see that person stand next to them. Mm. They might get smacked directly in the face. That's what my comments about. Just crazy getting stuff. Getting smacked in the face. <laughs> like, getting smacked. Like, yo, where's my egos at? So, you know what? We lost egos. So, I had to make a story on why we had no egos. Because some guys had to get smacked upside the forehead. Like, yo, our egos is out. I want breakfast. Why well, ain't got breakfast? Yo, we're going to go to Asgard. Something got to happen. Mm-hmm. You know that's what my comics about, and I made up. I made up the ants in '94. I was like 14, hmm. so like I think I saw a picture of Scud, and then like I was making. I was talking to some friends. We was like, we should make a comic book, and then, like I made up some characters, and they made up some characters, and I was drawing them in like English class, 
And then I just kept drawing them. And then when I got to college, I did them as a senior project and some strips. And then, like, they were kind of, like, my age then. So that I dealt with, like, stuff I was doing with college, like, moving into dorms and mm-hmm. silly stuff like then. And then, you know, I put those away. Then I met Sean. And we were talking about comics. And then, like, around 2005 or something, like, he was still down south. And he had his little site, Fast Food and them. And we did some strips for that, which I was basically redoing my college strips. Right. He had this other joint called Bluffed and Double Wides. Yeah, so and, that, was uh, a, that was actually our first foray into webcomics. Yeah. That's for everything blew up. That's for, like, podcasts and everything. Wow. So, like, we did a couple. And then, like, you know, we kind of, like, life got in the way. He got married and moved back up here. You know, stuff happens. And then I was like, <laughs> stuff happened. <laughs> dot, dot, <Yeah>. dot. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Like, you get to now, and it's like, last year, I was like, man, I really need to stop faking and do something, because it's like, I ain't never going, like, I can't talk about it forever. I ain't never going to get nowhere if I don't do nothing. So I was like, I'm just going to do ants. And then I just did it. 72 weeks later, it's still going on. No snow days. No snow days. We don't have right. snow days. No holidays ants. either. <laughs> nope. Nope. Nah, maybe if I get a lot of money, it'd be called We Get Money Day. It'd be just a big picture <laughs> of them popping champagne and be like raining uh, money and strippers twirling around with like Rick Ross music playing in the background. <laughs> now he's going to have Mo Money Mo Problems playing in the background, so he's going to be playing. <laughs> nah, no, no, no bull. I'm telling you, you guys need to hear that new Rick Ross album. It would be a Rick Ross song. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> Rick Rose is the truth, right? Yeah, as long now. as Drake's on every hook, right? Oh, oh, don't let's not get started on Drake because I will talk an hour about Fancy. <laughs> the genes of Fancy is the best song out this summer because of the change up at the two two thirty nine minute thirty nine second mark. Everybody, you get that track. You say that if you don't like that, you ain't hip. You don't, yeah. you don't know nothing. You don't know nothing about shoes. You don't know nothing about birds wearing them heels, yeah, getting gotta, their head done and the nails done. You don't I know got nothing. a co-sign. I got a co-sign on that. Okay. Okay. See, now I have to go listen to this now. See, because Julie and I talked once real quick. Tangent. Um, <laughs> Julie and I talked once uh, back at Super Show. We talked about Rick Ross for a second. I told him, I said, you know what? I shouldn't like this song, but I do, and it was called Magnificent. And, oh. and like, first off, the beat is slamming, okay? Second off, John Legend, uh, John Legend singing the hook. And not only that, mm-hmm. but John Legend was born in Springfield, Ohio, where, where, my, wife grew, where my wife grew up. And um, every now and then, John Legend goes back to Springfield, Ohio, and stops by this donut shop that my wife and I stopped by, which is, like, down the street from um, my in-law's house. So one of these days, I'm going to run into John Legend at that, do- at that donut shop. But anyway... Back back to what I'm saying though. There you go. If he hey, if he's repping the donut shop, you gotta listen to the song. Yeah, man. And no. And then that song was just slamming. And then Julian was like, How can you not like a song where the producers in the beginning of the track say Justice League? And I'm like, I know. I should be ashamed though. <laughs> I should be ashamed for liking this song. No. But yo, it's tight though. He, yo, he got a track, he got Maybach Music Three, where he got Erica Badu T I and Jada Kiss. That's major right there. Erica Badu singing the hook. That joint sound like that joint sound like some some uh freaking nineteen eighty five black video soul R and B music like mm-hmm. Jeffrey Osborne, you know what I'm saying? No yeah. boy the beat, that's how the beat is. It just start up just beautifully. Just beautiful. He got like two or three songs like that on the new album. A, see, 
That's that's what my comic's about. My comic is about that. It's about punching people in the face. <laughs> what the heck is going on in the world? And like rap music, like rap music, like damn a rock music right now. That ain't that's not popping the streets. The only reason people listen to rock music because they got plastic guitars again. People playing plastic guitars <laughs> on their playstations and their three sixties, and they, everybody just hit it like, oh snap, rock music is good. Yeah, it is, but it doesn't matter that it died for like ten years. Yeah, and you know, hip hop is kind of dying too. But rap music is living. <laughs> rap music is sounding great. Yeah, yeah, see, and so one of these days we all got to have a talk about the difference between hip hop and rap music. But we can't we can't do that right now. Then we have like a three hour session. So <laughs> that's that's a, that's his own podcast. Yeah. We're going to bring it back and we're going to talk about the Panda Force summer shorts. And uh, that is across the Panda Force. That's right. We've lost top. <laughs> and um, on. Pulse. <laughs> but um, oh, with, the Panda, with the Panda Force summer shorts, Sean, that is a uh, collaborative effort and a series of Panda Force short, you know, a web, webcomic short stories or webcomic shorts per se. Can you tell us a little bit more about those? Sure, man. Um, well, what it basically came down to is I got really lazy and I didn't want to do anything, so I got a bunch of you guys to fill in for me. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Okay, real talk, real talk. All right. Well, what it came down to is I was finishing up the uh, the story arc at the Chunky Sneezes. Um, I know that's going to sound really weird to anybody that's not heard Panda Force, but um, if you go to the site, pandaforestcomic.com, plug. You'll see that uh, right now I got this thing going on called Panda Force Summer Shorts. And what that basically is, I've just got a ton of talented friends such as yourselves. And uh, I really wanted to give a um, uh, just kind of like a, a podium for you guys to show off your stuff. The work I've gotten so far, man, is just amazing. It's just amazing. And um, I've got about six short stories lined up. And just throughout the summer, I've gone from posting, you know, just my one page every other week to posting two pages every week of these um, short stories that you guys, the creators, came up with. Um, I see you guys because, of course, Mr. Lytle and Mr. Pryor, of course, two of the creators within the event. So that's just how it came about. I mean, I, I mean you guys have seen what's come out so far. I mean, I, I just couldn't be happier with, with what's uh, being put out by these people that I brought on. Now, how's the response been to the uh, summer shorts so far f from the uh, general public? Oh, it's it's been great, man. I mean, I just get, you know, just random messages from people, you know, just saying how much they love it, and they they just like seeing the different takes on Panda Force. Because I mean, every short, I mean, somebody's got their own twist to what Panda Force is. Yeah, the the response has been phenomenal, and you know, the response from from the creators has been great too because you know everybody stepped up to the plate and really brought their a game. Mm -hmm. I don't know, it's it's just great and it's also great to just, you know, get something out there that that other publishers can come by my site and check out and just get to know who these creators are because um going back to the the Zuda conversation earlier, I mean, dude, there's a lot of people out there just doing awesome work online. And these people are, you know, they're that are doing this kind of work or, you know, they're doing it because they love it. You know, they're really inspired by it. You know, these are the people that really need to be also in the business doing, you know, work for some good money, you know. 
So it's just also just kind of showcasing these people. So now by the time this episode airs, I think our comic will have come around uh, the collabo between, you know, myself, Julian and you. We don't want to give it away because we want you to go to PandaForceComic.com and check out all the summer shorts. But I will say that one, I had a blast writing that because when I wrote that Panda Force summer short, I was I was in a mad writing funk. I mean, I mm -hmm. was I was hurting. I'm talking about how like I'm this is how bad I was hurting. I was hurting like Jay Z was hurting when he was part of the Jazz. Okay. <laughs> and, and for those no, and for those and for those that don't know, I'm gonna get y'all hip. I'm gonna do a little bit of hip hop history. Before Jay Z was Jay Z, he was part of a hip hop group called the Jazz. And the very first single Ooh. that was ever released was called Hawaiian Sophie. And, Hawaiian Sophie. And, and, and Hawaiian Sophie didn't really fit. Because Jazz, the, the the lead dude, aka Big Jazz, um, Jazz was like the front dude, and then like Jay Z would rhyme a little bit too. And there was another dude. Well, they had a whole completely different style. But at the during that period of time, one of the most popular producers in hip hop was a dude that did stuff for Fresh Prince by the name of uh, Chuck New or something like that. His nickname was New. So the label said, "Go and get this guy." produced this like Fresh Prince-like type uh, song called Hawaiian Sophie and then run with it. And the album tanked because of that. And like the second single was called like The Originators, if I remember right. And that really, that really focused more on their style. But by the time that happened, it was too late. For years, everybody had to disappear. And then Jay-Z came back with a Reasonable Doubt. And then the rest is history. So, um, but no, that's how that's how bad of a writing funk I was. That's in. a bad funk, man. Yes. Hawaiian <laughs> Sophie, you said Hawaiian Sophie. Yo, I got that somewhere too. I got Hawaiian yeah. Sophie somewhere, and I heard that I was like, "This is just bad." But ninety-nine problems and Hawaii Sophie's at the top of the list, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. But um, man, when I when I got to that man, I was like, you know what? I just like let it all out. And I was able to have fun and like you know just like flex flex my muscles and just like oh, be man you you and you and Julian killed it man everybody on this list killed it I mean I was like blown away I was you know I gave everybody deadlines and they started getting stuff to me like I was just like man this is gonna be I mean like I don't care you know how you know how much traffic I get to my site I'm you know I know what's going up on this site is damn good I'm just gonna let this speak for itself. You know, and people can come and find out about it. I know the creator's going to tell all their friends, but I mean, I couldn't be, you know, more proud of what you guys did. And yeah, I mean, you guys did work on your short, man. Hey, man. We, Thanks. Hey, we appreciate it, man. We appreciate the fact, you know, you, you know, you put us on. But yeah, man, I, I you know, I've been uh, trying to get some buzz with publishers to stop by the site because, I mean, what it's all about is just not only, you know, you guys kind of having, a, you know, giving a little slice of the Panda Forest life on there. It's, it's also, you know, trying to get these publishers to say, look, you know, there are people online doing really good stuff, man. I mean, you guys even just said, you know, like World of Hurt and, you know, PKD Media and, you know, what Julian's doing and all these people from Zuda. And I mean, there, there's people online that, you know, there's just a, a bevy of talent out there, man. Yeah. And, and, it's try it's, and it's trying to break that stigma of... And it's somewhat bro it's somewhat broken, but it's still not there yet of webcom you know, of webcomics as as a as a medium and, and how that medium can translate into not only webcomic form but print and various other mediums as well. Mm -hmm. And it's trying to make publishers and others understand that it's not just one thing. It's massive. It's massive yeah. if you really sit back and look at it from a large scope, but the general public still has a very narrow minded conception 
when it comes to art, whether it be from comics or painting or whatever. You know, a lot of them have a very narrow conception of art in general. So getting them to elaborate and expand on something as uh, possibly massive as a webcomic form is hard. It's it's hard to make them like you know learn that cycle. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, we're we're like the redheaded stepchild of the redheaded stepchild. You know what I mean? Yes, yes. Like if like the kid from Problem Child had a kid, like that'd be webcomics. <laughs> <laughs> like that's the way. That's the way. I mean, when you, I mean, for real. That's like when a lot of people out there view webcomics. You know. It's almost like you're just scared to tell them you do a web comic. You just want to say, "Yeah, I just do a comic. It's online, digital." Oh, dude, I got an ar- I got remember like last year I had gotten into an argument with with, with someone that said web comics aren't comics. <sighs> Trying to get people to understand this stuff sometimes like drives me nuts. Well, you know the 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 other thing is you know with print. I mean, it's just so easy to open and flip through a book. You know, and you, you know web comics, you got to actually go out there and find the ones that you like, and you have to navigate and scroll and you know do all this so it's i mean it's actually a little bit of work so i mean it's what you find is you really gotta try to educate the public on what web comics are and you know yes it is comics it's just they're online Mm -hmm. and you know they're out there and you just gotta you know it's like finding good music nowadays you just gotta do a little digging around for them you're not gonna have somebody you know feeding it to you oh yeah no doubt don't don't even get me started on radio, son. Don't don't yeah. even get me started. <laughs> I, that's why that's why I didn't even go there. I was like, all right, I'm not even gonna go into MTV and all that. We're just gonna leave that be. Mm-hmm. Only thing I'm gonna say about radio is this: I remember years ago, a decade ago, if not longer, if a rapper on a single said that he wanted his song played on Hot 97, that meant Hot 97 in New York, and that's where that's the only location. That was it. Now that stuff is corporate. Now Hot 97 New York has probably has not changed because they, you know, because the people that own that know that hey, they make money by doing what they do and don't change it. But now I have hot stations all across the country that are like hom- homogenized channels that either play like you know top top forty, you it's know, a damn shame. And I'm like, no, I'm like you. So I'm like that statement you just that rapper just said back then has lost so much significance. You know what Yo, I mean? I t- Hey, Sean, I told Jay the other day, I'm in the car about, I'd say, an hour combined going to and from work. Mm-hmm. On PGC here, I heard Alicia Keys Unthinkable four times. Four times in a span of a combined hour. Now, look, I love that saying, song, but that's, that's ridiculous. That's a good song, but, man, I mean, four times. I mean, come on, son. That's, that's a little bit overkill, you know? Yeah, I'm holding up my come on, son sign right now. <laughs> oh, yeah. Come on, I mean, son. Can we get a good playlist here? I mean, come on. Yeah, if they playlists come out, like if people, you know, people don't really believe on the uh, internet file sharing, but that's the only way you can actually get like the radio playlist if you go to torrents. Because people put those torrents up, but OCDs is the two disc and is the one disc. I love the two disc because then you get all the instrumentals for all the hot tracks. Cause you know what I'm saying? Like, oh, is that the new Mary J. Blast song? Oh, I got the instrument on the acapella. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Oh, see, you know, that's because you know Julian's spitting lyrics over top. Of it I don't spit. I just like having instrumentals. In- instrumentals are yeah, wonderful, so- man. You you don't understand. Instrumentals are wonderful because, like, I know personally, I could like never really rhyme, but I always just like wanted to, this. If I could ever rhyme, what I would want to do is I would like to take some instrumentals and just like cut mixtapes using like some of my favorite instrumentals and like just have themes for like every mixtape. And just like, and just put them out there for the hell of it. But I was like, you know what? I can't rhyme. I'm just gonna write books. 
Yeah. You know, I'm writing books. Unless somebody else write them hooks, I'm just gonna write these books. There you go. Look at that. Yes, sir. He's a poet, and yes, he didn't sir. even know it. <laughs> y'all, y'all crazy. Please believe I can't rhyme, but Ants will have a mixtape before I'm done. That shit's gonna happen. It's gonna be the trillest mixtape out too. I wanna get Clinton Sparks or Don Cannon on it or something. I wanna get some hard, <laughs> some off the wall shit, some stuff people don't even understand. Like comic fans be like, I don't understand what I'm listening to. And then you go all the rap sites like, I don't understand how this webcomic got this good ass mixtape. But this is awesome. See okay, see that brings up my next point. Interactiveness with comics. With, with like the comics that you know that we've put out here over at PKD, like for for some of the comics, like what I'll do is I'll have a soundtrack, and you don't have to read it with the comic, but you can if you want to, and sometimes it flows together when you're reading, depending on how fast or how slow you read, and yeah. I, and that's the one th- another thing about comics I wish more people would get a hold of is that you can make a comic as interactive as you want it to be, and that doesn't mean that you have to build like this super intricate website with all these Easter eggs, but you can really make your comic interactive you can do so much with it and i wish you know people were like you know some creators would just open up their minds a little bit more because some of the concepts they have are fantastic but they could take it even further you know if if possible and just make it so interactive well i think you know the, the good thing about having a web comic is you know a lot of them like you know the way all of ours are set up is we have a blog right on, under it mm-hmm. so you know it's cool because you're you know, you're constantly getting behind-the-scenes looks of sketches and, you know, things you just don't get in the print. For instance, I, I posted, like, one of my pages. Um, I posted a, a New Young Pony Club track from YouTube with a YouTube link on there. So I actually had the video embedded in there with, with the page, you know, like, listen to this track while you read the page, you know. So that that is the cool thing about doing web comics is there is a little bit more interactivity with uh, your fan base and you know get, pulling back the curtain a little bit more as far as influences go um Sean who are like some of like your influences and it, i mean and it just doesn't have to be relative to comic books but um just anything who are some of your influences that's a good question um art wise uh going through school i was always a huge Picasso and Salvador Dali fan. I was really big into that uh, the '80s artist Patrick Nagel. You guys heard of him? He does all those, um, you know, like the Duran Duran Rio cover. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, that was a kind of fine art I was into. Comics. I mean, uh, just the just the regulars you'd hear: Magnolia, Frank Miller, big Mike Allroyd fan. And oh man, back in the day growing up, I was big into Mark Silvestri when he was doing Wolverine back in the day. Yeah, I mean that was that oh, was my jump off. When now Silvestri um, did also did some X Men though, right? Yes, he did. See, yes, Australian the, era. Those 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 were the uh, those were the books I bought. I remember buying those X Men. I bought the Romita X Men and I bought um, the Romita Paul Smith and Silvestri X Men books. I remember those. Oh yeah, man. So well, no, when I was when I was a kid, man, I mean. There was no better team in my mind than Silvestri with uh, Larry Hama. I mean, those two together, I mean, I was like, I mean, I was just in heaven as a kid. <laughs> Ride my bike up to the 7-Eleven, grab a Slurpee and a couple Wolverines, whatever else was on the rack. Let's not even get into that, though, because that will make me sad, 7-Eleven not having comics. See, it's sad, but it's sad, though. It is because it's like comics are now... Cons- they're no- they had some a couple years ago, though. I bought a Wolverine out there joint with a 
with a freaking sausage bite, a breakfast bite, like in like 08. (laughs) (laughs) That's why I love Julian, because Julian will just keep it real. Uh, Snap. That's that's what I love. I don't don't even know how to follow that one up. (laughs) (laughs) Nowadays, like I know Boom has some stuff on like newsstands. And you might find a couple places that may have comics outside of a comic book store, but it's like, with the exception of like the Grandpa Claus, the Archie Archie stuff at Walmart, it's like comics are like shelf porn to like all these other areas now. It's just like, well, we don't want it. It's almost like they don't want to invest in like a whole new generation. You know what I mean? It's like... The, the way they want to invest in the whole new generation of comic fans is through movies. You know, that's, you know, you're getting, I mean, don't get me wrong. I love all the comic movies coming out, yada, yada, yada. But with the base at where it started at is the comic book, mm-hmm. you know? And it's like when you're a kid, I mean, you used to, you know, ride your bike down to 7 Eleven. That's how most of us got our comics, you know? I mean, there wasn't a lot of comic book shops around. I mean, you know, I'd make my mom traffic me over to one every once in a while or to a con, but yeah. I mean, the most of the bulk of my collection, I could just go through there and tell you all the ones I got from 7-Eleven. Yep. Oh, Walden Books. I always have love in my heart for Walden Books. Rest in peace. I don't even have them joints no more. Mm. Walden Books. You know how many comics I got from Walden Books? I mean, oh, kid, yeah. you know what? And kids don't change either. You know what I mean? Like... You look now. I mean, kid, the kids are starving for stuff like this. I mean, you look at this, um, this wimpy kid, the guy that comes up with the wimpy kid comics. Yeah, yeah he I mean, eating, he eating off of basically well, like. That's what I mean. And it's like, not even a full comic. It's just like some text drawn any, a piece any of line. Of the parent, any of the parents with kids I know, their kids are devouring wimpy kid comics, devouring. But they have no other way to consume anything else. I mean the. The you know the 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 mind at that age is ready to you know go on adventures and explore ideas and you know take trips into the mind like that and that that was comics was a good way to do that and it's a you know it's a way to to read you know my dad was an English teacher and he always told me you know what I don't care if you're reading the back of a, a cereal box as long as you're reading constantly yeah. read you know I think that's a it's a um, it's a great medium that I, I don't think the comic industry is really being, you, you know, investing in the the next generation. Yeah, no, they ain't because their books cost four dollars a piece. Grown yeah, man, they need I to go back to che- they need to go back to cheap paper and cheap ways of production. That ain't even gonna help. Yeah. That ain't even gonna help. The paper don't even cost that much no more. They just greedy. Marvel greedy, which makes DC greedy because Marvel be greedy first. They'd be like, we're going to raise that joint an extra dollar just because we can. DC, after a while, was like, F it. They did it. People still bought the books. They don't care. It's all right, though. It's all right. That's why nobody be buying Superman. He sell 40K. That's why Naruto be selling a million copies. Yep. And, and, well, and then you're going to have generations be, you know, before us that they're, they're not even going to really care about the the characters i mean yeah they'll have like grown up watching a movie or two but they're not going to have that investment in it that you know we did growing up and and that's when seeing what gets me is and julian just hit it on a second hit it on the head a second ago with naruto selling all these books you can get a ton of ton of you see a ton of children or kids at anime at anime conventions and expos and right and it's like and i'm not saying that DC and Marvel have to kowtow and change up their whole system to to cater to, to cater to all the kids in the world but I remember when I, you know, I, once again, I'm going to have to take you back to back in the day. I had, back in the day. I had Marvel. I had DC. I had independent books. I had, I had anime style books. 
you know, I had anime cartoons. You know, we had all the stuff that kids today have. But back then, I was able to see it all if I went to a comic book store back then, depending on where you were. You know, I was able to see it all. You know, now that's not the case. It's just like, you know, these other companies just like separate themselves from the rest of comics. And I don't understand that. I'm like, this is, I understand that it's a business and we're in the business to make money. But, you know, also at the same time, if you don't let, you know, help your medium grow, what you in it for? They in it because now they're owned by two big ass companies that ain't about that. Yeah. If they're going to build a brand for kids. They're going to make those movies. They're going to, for real talk, Warner Brothers is like, yo, we'll get Man of Action to make another cartoon for Cartoon Network. We'll sell a ton of toys. We got Ben 10. That's how we're going to build an audience for kids. Watch, watch Ben 10 going to have a dope-ass movie in 10 years. Oh, no question. And what's he, But you know what's even more crazy about that? You know Time Warner has like one of the biggest, biggest publishing firms in the States, right? I'm not, yeah, but it's all split apart. It's all, it's all, it's all freaking cutting the different pieces. Yeah. They, ain't, they ain't never had their shit together. You nicer than me. I think they need to change the whole system up. Yeah. Half these comics are too grown. It's like, I don't want to read them. Yeah. It's like, I'm, I'm having more fun reading about Luffy. Yeah. Punching people in the face because he, he, <laughs> he ate the gum gum fruit yeah. and he got a rubber body. It's like, really, you that serious do, dealing with basically 12-year-old power fantasies? Like, yeah. why are you so serious? It's well, like... That's another sign that, the, you know, it's... You know they're catering to people our age and even older now. You know what I mean? It's almost like they've they've cut you know cut off you know what's below. You know, yeah, and it's then, older. They're older than me because all these cats seem to grow up in the '80s. You know what I'm saying? Reading the same books. They kind of like around Sean's age. They they was reading X Men with Paul Smith. All they love all they do is love Kitty Pride. I give a damn about Kitty Pride. I grew up on Jubilee. I just want to see her kick hey, people now, in the face. See, don't don't be saying I'm old. Now I grew up on Jubilee too. <laughs> to throw you, me in the you no, not, you're older not, than me, son. Come on now. You, not you. <laughs> Sean Pryor. Sean Pryor's older than us. Yeah, I know he grew up with the older X Men. He's a yeah. couple years older. Uh, yes, nah, I, I ain't I ain't grow up with that. I don't hey, want to read that. I ain't I grow up with white, Jubilee. You watch it over Flash. There. Now, I'm not talking. I want to see Jubilee books. You know what they did to Jubilee? Son, I want to smack people in the face what they did to Jubilee recently. I know what they did. I'm up to date. I'm mad. We need, we, we're still waiting for the Julian Lytle Jubilee comic. They never, they're never going to let that happen. Mm-hmm. Just like they ain't never going to let me make my dad's a comic because oh. it'd be the trillest thing on the stands. Or, or, Bla- or Black Avengers. Julian and I had a concept <laughs> for Black Avengers. Yo, Black Avengers be the best comic book on the stands. Volume 1, it- paid in full. <laughs> oh my god! Oh my god! With the cover looking straight like Eric being Rockin, it'll be oh, with with the original Fifty Cent. Yeah, in the middle. Yeah, and Casper Cole, Casper Cole holding some cash on the side. Can with I be the, the token? Hey, can I be the token white guy working on the project? Yes, I can just, I can just no. do letters or something. It'll, it'll like give me my card, you know. Oh yeah. No. Oh no. You know what we got to do when we make this book? When we make this Black Avengers book, we got to put membership cards in the back of it. There you go. There you go. <laughs> Thank you, you, might, you might get a chain. Do I at least earn my by being on the black box? Please tell me. Yeah, yo, no, no. Your membership card is already in the mail, son. <laughs> it's already in the mail. I got you. I got you. Oh. oh you you y'all done got me hyped. <laughs> Black Avengers, yo, they wouldn't want me in the panel talking about Black Avengers. It, the whole San Diego would be shaking. They wouldn't even understand. I would, nobody else would be talking. CB, Joe Q, nobody. I just bum right, take over the whole joint. It'd be like, 
when Ghost, it'd be like when Wu Tang would come onto the stage back in like '97. It'd be like go up there and knock the stand over. Give me that. Somebody jam. runs out like, and picks it up for you. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Just be talking about like, yo, show the get get the keynote running. Show this. This is what happened to issue this. Wow, just see it like Luke Cage just punching like a sentinel in the heart. Like, wow. Like, Rack. He's like, what is that? Is that Misty Knight with the robot arm turned into a gun like Mega Man? Wow. Folks, I can already know. see the book. Yo, the Mega Man arm, Misty Knight with the Mega Man arm. Ain't ready. No, no, they're not ready for that, sir. They're, they're... Cloak. Cloak. What? Cloak with the ill Caesar, the fresh cut coming out. Now, see, now, now talking about Cloak real quick before, I, before we put the show back on the track again. How come cloak and dagger have always been like some of the most depressing characters ever freaking written in comics i don't know but i know my my boy got an idea on him redoing the origin i know i got a hell i got a hell of an idea i can't it's so dope i can't even talk about it online somebody steal it they ain't ready my drink it it would it would lighten the hell out of cloak and dagger because you're right it's depressing as hell that was the, first of all i don't even understand how they make a living like what, what do they do where do they live we just see them on the street all the time coming in to help spider-man fight carnage and be depressing come in with the runaways be depressing they put them in the x-men they depressing god damn it why they gotta be so depressing they've been <laughs> they've been depressing since the 80s so it's a it's a black man with a white woman. I ain't never seen a black man with a white woman that depressed ever. We could turn on ESPN and we never see no. They cheesing. That's what they doing. The most emo comic ever made. Yeah, man. It's more emo than emo Spidey and Spidey Three. Yeah, that's, that's pretty least, damn emo. And at least Spidey and Spidey Three was dan- was was dancing. Yeah, the, the groove. Yeah, the groove. I still don't hate. The Maybe group. that's what Cloak and Dagger need. They need a dance scene. No, they don't need. They, <laughs> see. <laughs> Put them on so you think you can Sean, dance. Stop! Stop putting Lighten out my ideas. Stop putting my Lighten ideas up the mood out. A little bit. Oh, oh my, my, my bad, my bad. Let me. Let they, y'all put my ideas out. People ain't. Really, just, just, you understand? I'll have a soldier boy in my comic. I have a whole diagram on how to do a dance up in my comic. It'll be like little steps. You'd be like, you got to print this out, put it on the floor. Now look, we talked about Sean talked about some of his influences. Now Julian, uh, what are some of your influences? Um, Calvin and Hobbes, Peanuts, Family Circus. Funny thing is, a lot of people be hating on Family Circus with them stupid ass little mazes. Mm-hmm. The mazes was hot back when you was eight. Yes, they were. With the dotted lines, I don't even know how they got the dotted lines so clean and clear. They didn't even have computers back then. No. You know what I'm saying? I'm, like, I'm man, st- what else? I'm still trying to understand how Jeffy didn't get into trouble all the time. Yo, I don't know. Yo, you know what else? Berenstein Bears. Yes. Um, yes. Loved me some you know, Berenstein Bears. Oh, R- Richard Pryor, Dave Chappelle. Seinfeld, because yo, when you start writing a, a strip that's funny, you gotta pay more attention to like comedy writing. I be listening to people, you know what I'm saying? Looking at old episodes that ain't live, looking at Woody Allen movies, you know what I'm saying? People might not think that, you know. I'll be just looking at uh Bill Maher. Mm-hmm. It's like you gotta be on point with like, yo, that's funny because it does this. So if somebody say like, yo, I don't get it, my answer sometimes is read a newspaper. Yeah. If you don't get it, you need to. Get your head out your ass and and know the fact that the world is shitty right now. Or like, yo, bad stuff happened. Like, I don't understand. Oh, you mean Echo's really going? Like, yeah. Uh, I put a link to the story on under the first episode. You know, I can't fake Boondocks is a heavy influence. Like the strip more says than that cartoon because it was the it was the way it was it was coming. Yo, in the beginning, yo, he was coming hard. It was like, yo, I. He was like when he saw Jar Jar Binks, he had him 
doing the shucking and jiving. Like, oh, I was like, oh, man. I was like, ooh, what is this? Like, I ain't even understand. And so I came home from break, like, whoa, ain't no comic like this. Nope. Mm-hmm. You know, cartoons, you know, like, you know, Looney Tunes. Oh, just silly, silly stuff. Oh, yeah. Manga. Like, I ain't gonna lie. You could probably ask Sean, like, yo, when I was doing Clash of the Egos, I was reading Mad One Piece. Yeah. So when you saw more punches to the face, burned through that whole series. <laughs> yeah, I read I read twelve years of the comics in three weeks. Yeah, when you saw more and more fights, it's because I I was reading Mad One Piece. It's like, oh, they're gonna fight a dog god. That's right, <laughs> goddamn right, they're gonna fight a dog god. Oh snap, they're gonna they're gonna trap a freaking god in a Roomba. Like Ghostbusters, you goddamn right they're gonna trap a god in a room, but like Ghostbusters. That, that's, that's about that's the thing about manga, man. I mean, they just make up the weirdest s they can think of. And Yo, they gotta crank it, it out. Happen, somehow popping off, you know. Yo, it's that weekly. They gotta get it done. It's like, yo, we gotta have some fights. We gotta have some. Sometimes we gonna have some random jokes. You know, it's just stuff like that. Like you know, video games like Street Fighter, Donkey Kong, Nintendo. Like Nintendo, Shigeru Miyamoto games. Like. One day I want to explain where the mallet came from. It's going to be dope. Mm. Now, like, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Oh no, I'm good. No, um, you talked about Looney Tunes for a second, and I, what I find sad is, is that, and I've talked about this to Jim Miller on a previous episode before. I find it sad that even though I know that Cartoon Network has invested in a new set of Looney Tunes uh, cartoons and a series per se, it's like they're kind of ashamed. It's come, it comes off as if they're kind of ashamed that what they did back then they don't play they don't play anymore i mean they'll play it like during a holiday sometimes it might show up on boomerang but it's almost the point where it that doesn't it, it doesn't exist yeah in the old school yeah. atomic yeah. jerry Time. cartoons you know i think times didn't change and it's like they just want to try new stuff it's like i ain't gonna lie they was playing looney tunes like you remember like abc saturday morning after a certain point before they show American Bandstand, mm-hmm. it would just be Looney Tunes for like two hours straight. Yes. It's just like, let's just, we ain't even going to worry about programming Looney Tunes. When Carson Network first came on, it was just Looney Tunes, Oh Hannah Marbera. So maybe yeah. to the point it was like, yo, eventually we need to make some new stuff. Right. I don't think they're embarrassed. The PC police out there now just, you know, they can't handle it. You know, they kind of they kind of chopped it up. You know, they put stuff out on DVD. And it's funny because when people talk about like why things are this good or why ain't good as the old shit, because yo back in the day they made them joints for movies. It was like yeah. they're not using television budgets. Television budgets came about with the Flintstones and the Jetsons. This joint was for like basically what we got now is the stuff for Pixar movies. Yeah, yeah. that's the modern equivalent to a Looney Tune. Mm-hmm. They just don't got a bunch of them because they only come, they come out with a joint every year. But yo back in the day they used to have mad stuff. Maybe we can get to a point where. They ain't got enough people coming to see so many movies that they need to try their hands and get people back and feel like they did back in the day. They need to put like a news program in front of a movie instead of a goddamn commercial. Warner yeah, Brothers needs to start hitting out. Some, oh my God, it's nothing but commercials. It's commercial. Yeah, commercial. It's annoying. They, they need know, to fill cool. that up with CNN and like some cartoons. They need to just do a cartoon. Heck, maybe maybe make a ten minute TV show. I put took, it in front of a. Uh, I took Rowan to her first movie a couple weeks ago. Is Toy Story three. And I got in there, got her all situated, got the popcorn set. I mean, I was there. I got in there about probably one minute before the movie started. Like, all right, cool. So she's not going to be bugging out because there's like one movie, minute till you know the lights go down. Man, they played like 25 minutes of commercials and all kinds of BS. 
you know, in every single, you know, movie trailer, 3D, IMAX, 3D, IMAX, 3D, IMAX. They, they got a 3D IMAX movie coming out for everything nowadays, according to all these trailers they got. So they do. And, it, it wasn't even until like 30 minutes into the freaking movie before the movie came on. And part of the, Unreal. And the part of the problem is, is that the reason why you've got all these commercials and stuff is that because of the, um, the, multi, the multiplex boom, um, over you know, like almost you know, two decades ago, the multiplex boom. They built all these theaters because they figured everybody's gonna go to the, go see a movie, and and then it kind of blew up in their faces. So they're like, "Well, we still owe money on all these buildings and all these properties. What are we gonna do? Well, we gotta start playing commercials." So that's and what, you know what? That's never gonna go away either because now they got that money. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not gonna they're not gonna turn that money down now. I mean, that's part of the monster now. Well, so. Oh yeah, definitely. Then on top of that, we'll see. When a lot of these studios started, you know, making, you know, now I'm not, now I'm not talking about these converted 2D into 3D movies, but like 3D flicks, and they had to, um, you know, and then like these movie theaters had to provide equipment and provide, you know, 3D projectors and all this stuff. Well, now they've got this, and they're like, well, we got to keep using this. We paid money for it, so now you have, you know, theaters dictating to studios. What they want is like, look, we got to fill this for this long. We got to fill this for this long. So, yeah. you know, now you've got theaters dictating to, to movie companies, and you've got movie companies dictating stuff to theaters. So your game has changed, and, you know, a lot of times you're not really getting movies anymore. You're just getting, you know, we got to have this out by this date. Yeah. I'll tell you what, I throw my hands up in there when the, the, the next Nicholas Sparks book comes out in a 3D movie. So I throw my hands up in there. Mm. I feel you, but you know what? I'm still gonna see Step Up 3D, y'all. I don't give a damn. <laughs> I've seen that shit early. The screen is like they gonna be grooving in 3D. What? They trying? They gonna be freaking popping and locking and freaking gliding all over the place in 3D. And I'm seeing it for free. Yeah. Is T Pain? They got T Pain's racks. <laughs> T Pain. <laughs> Teddy pin the rest down. Oh man! Up three D. So, oh my God, I can't wait! I can't wait. Before we wrap up this session, i I gotta talk to I gotta talk about a link that Julian posted on Facebook a while ago. By the time this episode airs. Uh, he posted a couple of links to a gentleman over in the UK that um, made his own Doctor Who anime. He showed a step-by-step process of how he did it. And um, he had a couple of scenes put together. And if you go to YouTube, like uh, type in making a proper Doctor Who anime, the, user, the username for this guy is Otaking, O-T-A-K-I-N-G 77077. And Julian had this link up, and I was working. I was just like, you know, okay, I got five minutes. I can watch. And I clicked on the link. First off, he had John Pertwee, Doctor Who oh, John Pertwee, okay? John Pertwee. Who is, to this day, one of my favorite doctors of all time. I haven't really watched a lot of the new Doctor Who, okay? I, I haven't. I just haven't had time, and I want to one day, and I will. But John Pertwee was a space pimp. Because he had the fly gear, the cool car. They were on been like BBC was on a budget back then, so they had to keep him on Earth all the time. But he was fly. So I watched this segment and I watched them all. This dude has Cybermen, Daleks, military battles, and most of all had John Pertwee doing some kung fu on some street thugs and was straight <laughs> hard. 
Oh my god, he just punched him in the face. He's so tough. I'm like, huh, come at you then. So it had the master in it. Wow, what Cyberman? What it? It had. It had the dialects moving so so lovely. Exterminate. Yeah. Exterminate. Bwah. It had to do fall out the window like, oh. Yeah. Um, it's like, Sean, I'm telling you. You you may not know it, you know, may not know much about Doctor Who. Go go watch a couple of these clips and you'll be like, you know, I think you will be thoroughly pleased. Because this old white dude punching people in the face, you can gas to love it in the, a British accent. This dude did this all by himself. He had no team. He put it together all by himself. Like this is this is that creativity that like you know we all that you know that we all like when we go in we go in and this dude went all in. Only telephone booth action I know of is uh, Bill and Ted's. That's about the only thing I, dude, I need to just, up on my Doctor Who. It just hit me like a couple like months ago that obviously Bill and Ted is an homage to Doctor Who. Of course. Except it's surfer dudes who ended up with a police box. But it's not a police box. It's an yeah, actual. And that's horrible. I mean, why why weren't they thinking about this when they got rid of telephone booths? I mean, kids are not going to be able to understand Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure and Doctor Who now that all the telephone booths are gone. It's a travesty. But they understand it in in in, in freaking England because he got a police box, and I think they just keep that shit around because it's British and they that's keep their kids smarter. You know what I'm saying? I know. But that's but okay. They got it figured out. They got it figured out. I mean, at least we could have some fake telephone booths up. You know what I mean? So they got a couple in like Times Square, I think. That's about it. It's all right though. But kids are gonna be like, "Oh, look at that kiosk." Kiosk? What the? Ah, uh, son, that's a kiosk. That's a telephone booth. You can't even draw Superman. You can't even draw Superman running a telephone booth. Come on with the suit no more. I'm telling you, our kids are not going to know about comics or telephone booths. Oh, and, and besides, as we all know, Superman doesn't run to a telephone telephone booth anymore. He just walks. Let's you know, not. You no, know, he runs up to a kiosk. <laughs> yo, Superman should never walk. I read the half of the issue today. Somebody came and was like, yo, you read that? Yo, it's this good. I want to show you this scene. You, you got to read this scene. It's going to tell you everything you need to know. And I read it, and I was like, so Superman's Kane, Kung Fu, and he's talking to people, and he just gives them Zen Buddhism, and that's it. That was kind of lame. And then we got to a debate. And and, and this is and this is part of part of my issue sometimes with comics. And this isn't a you know I'm not knocking on JMS. He's written a lot of good comics. Yo, this is Superman, okay? And and why would I hand a child that comic? Why? Why would I? Why would I even remotely hand that kid that comic? And like I said, I'm not trying to knock JMS because he's written a lot of great comics over 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 the decades, okay? I'm not trying to be mean, but. I just don't get it. It's Superman. Superman should be fighting like Lex Luthor in the crazy green and purple robot outfit and like, you know, and like smacking against Brainiac in the big Brainiac Death Star head. I, well, you know, we yeah. lost, the, you know, the, we become such a cynical society nowadays. And, you know, we, you know, ever since the 80s where they tried to really grow up comics, I mean, we've gotten to a point now where, I mean, don't get me wrong, like the last Dark Knight film that came out, you know, I mean, that's about as dark as you get. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, we just become such a cynical society, it's hard to go back to that that fun-loving feeling of comics. I mean, take, for instance, um, I know you guys all agree with me on this, the Speed Racer movie, perfect example. That shit was off the chain. Fun as hell, stylistically awesome, 
you know, it, it was fun. Just, you know, it was a great ride. But, I mean, it got canned right coming out the, you know, out the chute. But now it's got this huge buzz going about, you know, this underground buzz of people like that have actually seen it now that don't didn't pay attention to the reviewers that are like, yo, this movie is hype. Like, why did why did we not just, you know, not listen to the critics and go out and see this movie? That's because no one knows what Speed Racer is. But that's just that. I mean, just it just sums up, you know, we're we're a society now that doesn't, you know, like to have these real fun light-hearted comics i don't know i think it could it'll work. be interesting to see what happens with scott pilgrim because scott pilgrim has that vibe to it you know what i mean it's got that fun vibe to it it'll just be interesting to see what kind of support the the movie has you know a mainstream i hope it beats the expendables because i don't think they should have put them back head to head like that uh-huh. you know what i'm saying i wanted to see the expendables but i'm like yo i got scott pilgrim i gotta hold him down like he he gets a one up. Like, I'm, how can I not hate on him? I'm salty about that. I'm salty about that because I, you know, one of the, one of those studios was like, "This is perfect counter programming." Whether that be whether that be Universal or whether that be Millennium. Who's you know what I want to see? What's that? I want to see the Expendettes. I want to see Jamie Lee Curtis. Well, who are oh, some of the old crazy? Not just Gina Davis. You got to put Gina Davis who, in. The, yeah, Gina Davis. Who is on um, the um, Aliens? Um, Sigourney Weaver. Sigourney, Sigourney Weaver. Weaver. Oh, you no. gotta have Brad Pitt's put wife. Sarah Connor. You gotta put Sarah Connor in there. Brad, Brad Pitt's wife, Andrew Linda Pitt. Carter. Yeah. I mean, I got yeah. the expendettes. How hot would that be? See, I just gave that away. There you go. Yeah. Thank you, Hollywood. You can thank me later, as Drake <laughs> would say. Yeah. But yo, I think Superman, Superman could work, man. Because also Superman, everybody loved that. And we just Superman doing crazy stuff like fighting like baby sun eat sun eaters and teaming up with like follow the Superman and like fighting like Samson and Atlas. Yeah. Cause all because it was Lois Lane's birthday, he gave her superpowers for a day. And like he went to Bizarro World and it was like the Bizarro Bizarro Zibaro. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. That works because it's a Superman comic. It's just that nobody makes good Superman comics no more. That's why I sell 40k. Like, I can make a good Superman comic. I don't want to make a Superman comic. I want to make a Jimmy Olsen comic because nobody can make one because they all weak. <laughs> Can't make a Jimmy Olsen comic. I dream of Jimmy Olsen comics. Yes. I'm not bullshitting. <laughs> Yo. I dream up Jimmy Olsen comics like once a week. Yo, I, b- before, before I shut this down, I feel you on that because I found some old like uh, 70s Lois Lane comics. And as sometimes as hokey as that stuff was. Don't get I, me started. As hokey as some of that stuff was, I'm like, yo, we need this again. Yeah, we really do. We need and this again. That just sums up the whole thing. I mean, it's just, I don't, I don't, I don't know. It's just, it's hard to get people to embrace that nowadays for some reason. Yeah, yo, we could push Lois Lane. Lois Lane will work here in Washington area. All these small professional journalist women saying you have a hard hitting journalist Lois Lane book with no Superman in it. Superman's wife, Lois Lane, reporter, wow. Yeah, Jumping out a, of planes, put like a sexy Rachel vampire and werewolf fighting over man. You got a hit on your hands. <laughs> you <can't> have, you, <laughs> yeah, but you can't have it happen because Superman's around. You know what I'm saying? Superman wouldn't have that. He'll zap the vampire, turn to dust. <laughs> <laughs> See y'all crazy. All right, before we go, I need people to know. Sean, where can they see Pan- the Panda Force comic and the Panda Force summer shorts? Uh, you can go to pandaforcecomic.com. 
and um, just read from there. If you look on the side, on the, the right side, there's a navigation bar that has a set summer shorts links and a start from the beginning icon where you can catch up on everything I've done so, thus far. But yeah, that's that's the main place to go, pandaforcecomic.com. Cool. And Julian, where can people see ants? Ants.julianlito.com every Thursday. Sometimes extras if something crazy happened, like say the VMAs or I'll make a storyline. You follow me on Twitter and I got a new storyline coming up. It's going to be epic. Deals with a time machine, fighting Nazis, a 21-year-old Jesus Christ. What? There you go. That's what I'm talking about. (laughs) (laughs) I know that's major right there because Julian don't play and neither neither does Sean. So peep it. Panda Force Summer Shorts, Panda Force Comic, Ants, please get familiar, like Clinton Sparks says. They're great comics created by wonderful people who are extremely creative and love comics and love art. Please take take note and take apart and uh, take apart and enjoy what they have to offer. But Sean, Julian, I can't say once again, thanks enough uh, for Thank being you, on the man. show. Thank you, man. We really appreciate it. Thank you, man, for having me on again. Hey, ain't no thing. And I want y'all back on the show because we will have the hip hop rap discussion. Oh, it'd be very epic. good very good yes because we must do that because see then that gives me an excuse to talk about that marvel comic that krs1 did that came with a little mixtape oh wow there you go. yeah I'm, I'm about to take y'all back so um, but no man seriously thank you for coming thanks man And that concludes this week's PKD Black Box. The PKD Black Box is available via iTunes, or you can go to pkdmedia.com to get our show, check out our forum, and read comics like Mercury and the Murd, XO one on the Rock Solid Steel Bots, Agents of Colt, and Luke Foster's The Gang from the Store, six days a week for free. And if you're on iTunes or our forum board, drop us a line or email us at blackbox at pkdmedia.com. Thanks again for listening. Until then, dream big and hustle hard. We got to talk about that doc, the anime Doctor Who. Julian, you should never, you should never posted that link, dog. Son, you don't understand. <laughs> I was at work. I got so hyped because it's like, yo, everybody be talking about Doctor Who, David Tennant. You know what I'm saying? The new little cat, Matt Smith. I see the anime. He got a pertwee on that joint with the suit, with the fluffy shirt, yes. punching people in the face. I was like, oh, my God. It's like watching PMBS back in the day, like back in like 1990 when they was like, oh, we're going to show a doctor who's chilling in England with the yellow whip yep. coming out with the military dude fighting cast every week. Brigadier. Oh. That's one of the hardest names in the history of sci-fi television. Brigadier. He was so dope with his his whole outfit on, getting his scraps. Freaking Daleks coming out of nowhere, yo! Oh, it's like, right, yo, that's my who, oh who, yo, yeah. See, now you done got me. High. We are, we got to start this. He's episode. wilding out over here. It's funny. <laughs> yes, we we did. We got to start this. Up. All right, all right. Here we go. We gonna start this. All right.